When the bumps began to fall Now where were you, my dear? Did you think a plane would come and save you from this wreck? I'm sorry, but you were wrong Let's hop a train, get out of here There's but one left that'll take us where we need to go We all knew that it was gonna end this way So hold my hand and there'll be nothing to fear If you're afraid, we'll get some beer If you're still afraid, well then we'll get some whiskey too And we'll drink it till we can't remember our own names Smash those bottles against the remains of this machine So when the sun falls to the sea And everything we thought we had is gone May we wake up bathed in a glorious radiant dawn Pick ourselves up, move right along Yeah, things will be different, I assure you Uh, Welcome everyone to the Garrett Schelke Podcast I am your host, ya boy Garrett Schalke, and happy fucking new year. It's a new year, it's a new decade, new you, new me. <laughs> oh, World War Three is probably about to start. Yeah, that was a surprise of the new year. Yeah, I know. Uh, we're not even a week in new year and the world's about to end. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm Garrett Schalke, and uh, with me for our, uh, pretty much our annual new year show is... Yeah. Uh, Editor, friend, photographer, writer, and last I checked, a uh, reigning champion as most guest appearances on Powerful GSP, <laughs> Zach Elmblad. Everybody. Hi-dee-ho! Oh, oh shit, it's Mr. Hanky, actually. <laughs> the Christmas poop. I am indeed Zach Elmblad. Anyone who has followed my career for an obscene amount of time, will recognize that. Yep, and uh, yeah, I'm glad you're here. And, uh, Me too. I'm glad to be here too, yeah. on this cold-ass, dreary day in Kalamazoo. And yeah, uh, it's 2020. It sure is. It's a new decade. Yeah, insert 2020 vision meme here. Or that uh, Ramones meme, oh, 2024, 20, 20, 24 hours ago. <laughs> Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I'm glad that 2020 started off with a generally wholesome meme and song. Granted, yeah. the song is about, well, you assume Joey Ramone, who actually had psychological issues and was in a mental institution, <laughs> uh, getting taken to another mental institution, you know, and to be sedated. Yeah. But hey, it had 2020 in there and 24 hours, yeah. so... Some you hit clever the mark, people. You hit the mark just right. Clever people on the internet. Yeah, it's like those uh, memes where it's always like, if you start this movie at this time, and then at midnight, <laughs> this will happen. I was talking to a guy the other day, or literally yesterday, and he was saying that the um, the last week has generated some of the dankest memes that we've seen in a while. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give you that. And um, the conversation later led to him saying, you know, I wonder if there's just a meme think tank. Like, 
And and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Reddit. <laughs> well, you can also argue it's 4chan. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, no, I I think there's uh, places where memes come out more than others. But the memes are born in the hospital and delivered by meme storks. Oh God! If only that were true, we could keep our track of them. Uh, but uh, no, that that's a. That's the thing about memes is that they're wild and free and they pop up <laughs> Free everywhere. range memes. <laughs> and you can steal them as much as you want. No matter how many people fucking try to war mark them or bitch you out if you share it on your your meme page. Yeah, dude. You stole my meme. No. You just photoshop Obama's head on dinosaur <laughs> then wrote shuffle on it. I wonder what like man, I wonder what the the property rights of memes look like anyway, because none of it is original content except for the entirety of it. You know what right. I mean? Like it's oh, yeah. it's a remix thing, kind of. Well, I know yeah. I know over in Europe. I don't know if it went through, but I guess the European Union, in regards to like copyright laws and access to like adult content, mm-hmm. apparently, God, I should look it up. But, uh, <laughs> Apparently they want to pass a resolution that basically would make memes illegal because uh, it includes copyright content like pictures and... I would love to see the memes about somebody trying to make a meme illegal. Oh, (laughs) oh, that's been done, dude. I mean, mean, like, it's kind of like Rule 34. It's been done. So, um, memes... Now, I'm pretty sure this is right. But wasn't meme a term introduced by Richard Dawkins in, like, the late 80s? Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Memology and memes, like... I, I, I'm, I'm reasonably sure that Richard Dawkins wrote a paper or, or a book of some kind, and memes is, like, a, a, a snippet of, of, like, cultural information. Like, that's the name of it. Like, that's what the term means. And it was... Like, actually a, a term, hmm. I okay. think. Well, I'm looking up now, yeah. Richard Dawkins memes. I was expecting, like, the meme deception. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like, it's a scholarly uh, paper, see. right? Like, he, before he became, like, the the world's poster boy for, like, militant atheism, uh, he, yeah. he was just a British intellectual. Okay, well, here's an excerpt from Vice, said... Uh, <clears throat> In his 1979 book, The Selfish Gene, Professor Richard Dawkins gave us a cultural theory of natural selection in which he reformulated the word gene to create the now famous term meme. Today, the evolutionary biologist isn't shy about embracing the internet culture he helps to create. Is he? (laughs) (laughs) He He and Al Gore both created the internet. And then yeah. they high-fived and all the memes were made at once and they're actually discovered underground with a notched pickaxe. You have to buy yeah. a special notched yeah. pickaxe. That, that eventually yeah. got out of control because I know Al Gore did not approve of Man Bear Pig from South Park. <laughs> Which, by the way, uh, I don't know if you ever saw that episode, but last time Gore yeah. and Man Bear Pig appeared on there, uh, the creators of South Park through their characters basically just said straight up, yeah, we were wrong. Climate change is real. We need to do something about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's that's pretty undeniable. Unless you're a buffoon, it's uh, specifically we, climate change. Well, we we will get into that. <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll get into a lot of depressing things. Are you a climate change denier all of a sudden? 
Uh, no. No? No, fuck, <laughs> fuck no. I can't even joke about it. I can't even, like, pretend to not be one. Uh, I've got these, like, sulfurous broccoli burps right now. I think that's contributing uh, to climate change. <laughs> or it could be the fact that Australia, the entire country is fucking burning. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, pro- that's another we'll, joyful... We'll, yeah, we'll talk about that, but... Let's get into more joyful shit. Uh, yeah, it's 2020. Uh, how's your New Year's Eve? Uh, I slept after eating a bunch of deep fried food and woke up at 12.01 <laughs> <laughs> and then couldn't go back to sleep. And then I've just been working since. I don't know. That's what I do. Like, I, I, I don't know if I've discussed this on the podcast or publicly or whatever, but, like, I haven't really been drinking or partying for the last two years, and, like, I don't know, people who know me, it's kind of, like, strange behavior for me to exhibit, like, I'm generally the town drunk, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, so, like, New Year is, it's different for me, because it's, like, a slow period of time for my professional work, so I have a lot of, like, time to sit around and play video games and do laundry and stuff. And so, like, this time of year, I kind of hibernate a little bit, and, like, the idea of staying up till midnight just for some, like, the arbitrary decision that this is when the new, like, year begins, it's, like, lost its magic for me a little bit. But the idea of, like, renewal and starting over again, I I always really like that. So, like... Especially this time around, because... It's a brand new decade. Yeah, sure is, man. And it's a fun one, 2020. Like, uh, it's just good, dude. It's a good round number. You can put the 20 on top of the other 20 in, in like, graphic design. Like, there's just so many good things you can do with it. They're, they're nice numbers. They're good yeah. looking. Yeah, so basically this year you were kind of like that meme where it's like, the top is everyone party and then... Below is like oh, yeah. the do- the dog, and <laughs> like the tucked dog, in the, the dog little... all tucked in the bed. <laughs> yeah, no, that's me with my little bottle of water and playing Skyrim. Yeah. I'm like, nah, I'm, yeah, uh, this, I'm out on this. Yeah, this year for me, I uh, stuck around Grand Rapids. I wanted to go somewhere else, particularly Toronto, but uh, there's a problem. Two of them actually. One, uh, New Year's Eve and day was Tuesday and Wednesday this year, last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second problem is that I'm out of PDOs at my job mm. until the 23rd, my seniority date. So, mm. yeah, I couldn't ask for it off. So, Too many trips to Canada, dude. What are you doing? In Chicago. <sighs> yeah, I can't, can't get enough of Canada. <laughs> Especially the way it's going, you know, I got to think of escape routes into it. Oh, they're not going to let us in, man. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> I might be. You know, I'm just going to... I know, I'm just going to wave around a copy of Anamaki and be like, you see this? Have you read the Goodreads review on this? <laughs> you know, I was once nominated for a Michigan Library Award for this show. <laughs> I'll commandeer an assault rifle and wave copies of Atlas Shrugged out in Colorado and see what that gets me. <laughs> I am. You know what? They always ask, who is John Gallant? I tell you right now, motherfucker, I am John Gallant. Now, don't pay your taxes. But, uh... Yeah, so I had to stick around, and uh, yeah, actually, uh, the this this year marks my seventh year in Grand Rapids. Okay, and my and actually my very first year in Grand Rapids, twenty thirteen, was in Grand Rapids. I uh, spent my New Year's there too. Okay, it fucking sucked. It just, 
2013 was just an awful year for me. So, mm-hmm. of course, New Year's Eve was awful, too. You know, had to cap it off. Sure. And mm-hmm. since then, it's just been going up. Been way better. Well, that's good. So I'm happy to say that New Year's this year in Grand Rapids was a lot better. I mean, I've had way more fun on other New Year's, but at least it wasn't terrible. It's kind of boring. I mostly uh, went around between the Pyramid Scheme and Stella's. Okay. You know, did the whole midnight thing. And uh, I guess Puddle of Mud were performing downtown. Puddle of Mud. At the ball drop. Wow. Okay. Yeah, remember yeah. them? Yeah. She fucking hates me. Yeah. Na, 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 na. <laughs> American musical classic, Puddle of Mud. Yeah, I remember back in the day when they came out, for like Fred Durst endorsed them. They, mm-hmm. were just, they were supposed to be like the next big hit group. Like they were the Limbiscuit Limp successors. <laughs> Slap <and all>. rehab. <laughs> yep, yeah, and uh, pretty much kind of like Scott Stapp of Creed. Like mm-hmm. the main singer is pretty much just a jerk off who is always drunk or high he leaves yeah. he leaves in the middle of performances doesn't show up what gets a dingus arrested. what yeah. a little old dingus yeah addiction Ugh. <laughs> but uh but yeah they, i guess they were supposed to perform and i don't know if they did but they just didn't have my interest nah and uh <clears throat> the night of course the night ended pretty shitty because uh at one o'clock it's like okay i'm bored i'm just gonna go home Call my Uber, and yeah, of course, this happened to me like three times already. Is that sometimes my Uber app will just go on, just go to shit for no reason, no particular reason. Hmm. Like, there, it'll show cars out on there, but they'll say, like, we could not find any Ubers at this time, stuff hmm. like that. So, uh, had to uninstall, reinstall it, shit. and it got me a uh, got me an Uber, but. It had me placed on division up across from <laughs> Burger King and the liquor store. Like, he, I think you might know what I'm talking yeah. about. And, of course, I, like, tried to move my position to downtown where I was and it wouldn't let me. So I canceled and same thing. So I, so I spent my New Year's Eve, my New Year's morning, you could say, uh, doing a 30-minute walk back to the Heritage Hill and near below freezing weather. Ah, Christ. Just drink and drive, man. Jesus. <laughs> Fucking Fun, Uber. <laughs> funny, funny you should say that, because uh, when I was walking back, I just entered into Heritage Hill, as in I walked up the hill. Yeah, one of the intersections, there was almost a car crash there, like, oh. right in front of me. Oh, yeah. It's the typical, and they both kind of, like, slide a little bit as they stop. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised they didn't hit, because uh, it's pretty shitty weather and icy out. You know, man... There's a lot of bad drivers in this world, you know. Granted, that almost happened to me this summer at, like, the same intersection on Harrods Hill, but mm-hmm. that was because, like, I was heading up to Traverse City for the day to swim, and, of course, you know, I had just all these beach boy-influenced visions in my head of swimming, <laughs> and I and I ran the red light and I almost got t Oh, shit, dude. Because I was fucking dumb. You got your Woody station wagon and your freshly no. waxed surfboard. No, no, more like my Ford Fiesta and my, uh, <laughs> and my goggles that no matter how much I adjust them, I always fill up with water immediately. <laughs> your, your Simpsons donut water flotation device? Yeah, yeah that's actually <laughs> something I want to talk to you about later on is that uh, I want to see if I can get your recommendations for masks to wear underwater. Okay. Because uh, I'm not, I'm not going to be like you, like deep diving or anything, mm-hmm. but I just want shit that... When I go underwater and 
enjoying my time at the beach, it doesn't like immediately fill up with water. Okay. Yeah. But that's boring content we won't talk about. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so New Year's Day doing this walking made me sick. Mm-hmm. At least like a little bit where like you feel nauseous and tired. So I slept like half of New Year's Day away, oh, getting rid man. of it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I just came and worked. I mean, that's, yeah, that, it, if it's a normal day and I'm in town, then I usually spend at least six hours of it in my office. Yeah, so. uh, I was, before I contacted you, I was actually thinking about like, huh, I got Wednesday off. Would he want to do this on Wednesday? But then I remember the, before even this podcast started, mm-hmm. when you and I were like doing like these mini podcast recordings, you know, put up on YouTube. Yeah. We did did indeed do a New Year's podcast. Mm-hmm. And, well, we were so hungover and tired <laughs> that uh, it yeah. stunk. It stunk. We, we were just babbling. Yeah. We actually got like heated for a sec about public schools versus charter schools. <laughs> and, really? Yeah. And, and basically, basically, our argument was like, was like, I think public schools are good. Well, I think charter schools are good. Okay. <laughs> and that was it. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It's still up on YouTube, everyone. You can look yeah, it up. It on is. On Elmblad Media Group YouTube channel. Uh, I don't think I put a single video on that YouTube channel in 2019. Uh, I'm I'm a shameful, shameful, lazy asshole. Like, oh, same here. That, same, same here. I'm I'm still been working on update my website this week. I, oh yeah, dude, I think my website still currently is advertising um, wedding photography scheduling for 2017. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It just means that they have to go in a time machine to book, right? Before. Like I mean. Yeah. You can just Google me, man. The shit's around, you know. I don't, I don't need to do all that stuff. It just make, if I start advertising stuff, it just makes me more busy. I don't want to do that. Well, <laughs> uh, actually, this year I want to get into like fully, f- like fully releasing my back catalog, like all the music that I have done, and then I want to do a, um, a short story, like compilation book. Kind of like your up jamboree, um, uh, show collection. Yeah. yeah, exactly. A collection of like unpublished material and like mm-hmm. um, I, I have like a little chat book that I had made called Opiate of the Masses, and um, that that was limited to like fifty copies that I printed in uh, my basement. That, like, <laughs> uh, that that's why one of my little piffs is that the word as a writer is that. I guess I can understand, like, certain economic situations, but mm-hmm. I'm just one of those guys who's just, where they say, like, limited release of this, this many copies only. I'm like, yeah. why? Don't you want to, like, keep it out there? Well, I, it was a limited release because that's lit- I bought, like, two reams of paper at Big Lots, and okay. that's how much okay. I could print. Okay, okay, you know what, that, that does make sense. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking, like, also, like, digital releases... And yeah, the no, age of, I, like, e-books and e-music. Yeah, sure. No, I don't really like to do that with with my music or um, written material, but it makes a lot more sense in, like, the fine art and photography world yeah. to, to do limited release series. Only if you're trying to do it commercially. 
And I don't think it lends any legitimacy to your like lore as an artist to have limited releases. But if you're you indie know. and generally unknown, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're a commercial artist, you can put out and you'll get fame for that. I mean, mm-hmm. Wu Tang Clan, for example, put out that one album that that one Shariki guy, yeah, What's Martin Shkreli. Yeah, he owns the only copy. Yeah. And he's in he, fucking prison. He doesn't own it anymore. It's just I, I, I think RZA was interviewed by Joe Rogan, and oh, really? Joe asked him oh, I gotta look like, that up about it. Yeah, I don't know if it was Riz. It was one of the guys in Wu-Tang that's involved with that record, yeah. right? And um, he had said that it got taken, right, during the, the raid of his apartment. Like, it's it's yeah. in an evidence locker, basically, <laughs> if uh, I recall correctly. Yeah, well, so they, no one has it still. <laughs> Probably cops are probably just listening to it. Like, yeah. yeah, this is good shit. <laughs> you know, kids these days don't know real hip hop. You, know? <laughs> you know, I am a cop. I know real hip hop. Right. <laughs> but no, like, I guess like, I understand. I see the mystique they made around yeah. me. Like the one album, it's so great, but only one copy was ever made. But on the other hand, it's like, d- dude, all these you made this great record, and you're not putting out that art into the world for one. Yeah, it does yeah. It does raise questions about why you do what you do, yeah. certainly. And, of course, you're kind of screwing out other Wu-Tang fans, especially yeah. those who are, like, diehard, maybe from, like, day one. Like, exclusivity is an attribute that some people try to, to leverage, though, and I guess yeah. maybe that's what that is. Uh, Wu-Tang could definitely do it, then, because they're that famous. Yeah, they are. Uh, but if I were to be like, guys, uh, new... New, my next Godin book, Godin Omega Wolf Blues, I'm only going to make five copies. Yeah. So if you want it, you better hit up my gum road for the signed copy. <laughs> One of them is duct taped to a banana on a gallery wall. <laughs> well, uh, actually, scratch that. Change of plans. <laughs> I will only have four copies of it on gum road. Then I will, st- I will staple the fifth copy to... I'm glad Media Group Studios wall. <laughs> and the only way you'll be able to read it is if you rip it off, which will damage the text. So yeah. you might be so you might miss out on some key points because you ripped it off. <laughs> you can find the only copy of my next novel duct taped to the telephone pole at the corner of Hate and Ashbury in <laughs> San Francisco. <laughs> uh, and it's already been stolen because it's gentrified yeah. as fuck and some well, it's either like a homeless dude who wanted to use it for toilet paper. Or toilet paper, <laughs> or uh, some rich guy, some rich asshole. He's like, Ooh, no, not on my block. I pay good money f- to run out all these poor people. <laughs> oh, dude, I dislike most of California. <sighs> well, yeah, I know you've uh, you've told me many a times how hard you get whenever it's like wildfires there. You're like, <laughs> maybe may- you're like maybe. Have this- I said that many times? Yeah, you have. I swear to God, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth, folks. Oh man! Each time it happens, you're like, at last, it will be cleansed. Yeah, I'll tell you, nothing's better than watching those little burnt little koala bears just crawl up to bicyclists and get water like pathetic little lumps of fur. Oh God, <laughs> dude, it's so fucking sad. Seriously, man. Like, Australia... Uh, you know what? Fuck for, it. Let's go into Australia. Dude. Yeah. Um, 
The for, entire country's on fire, it looks like. Oh, yeah, but or, we're going to completely forget about how three years ago, almost the entire Great Barrier Reef had a mass bleaching event. Like, dude... That's still ongoing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, oh yeah, it's still ongoing, but it, like, it became apparent and dire a couple of years ago. And, um, dude, Australia is F-U-C-T right now. It's a yeah. shame. Yeah, it's a uh, I see. Yeah, I seen the map. And I'm saying like the entire country's on fire. And yeah, it's not not really that much of an exaggeration. No, it's not. If you look at like the popular map that I've seen, it's like pretty much ev- not like in the middle of the country so much, but like s- all surrounding it is just these big fires, except for like one port. And if you know anything about Australia, the inland of Australia is largely uninhabited. Like, all the people live on the coastlines where all those fires are. And, like, right now it's the dead of summer, too. So it's not going to get better. Like, the drought conditions are going to remain That's what I was about months. to ask. Uh, yeah. I've, I've never been to Australia, and most of my shit is, you know, stereotypes, you know. Mm-hmm. Boston's, Australia, Philippia. <laughs> like, how, how much, do you know anything about, like, the weather and the landscape there? Yeah. I mean, I've, ne- I've never been to Australia, no, but, um, yeah, it's... It's kind of, like, similar in many ways to Mexico, where it's, like, in that, like, so it's in the southern hemisphere, so everything's reversed, right? Like, December is summer there, and August is, like, uh, springtime, you know? And uh, the geography of Australia, it's, like, mineral-rich bushland in the middle that's kind of uninhabitable because of a number of reasons like these wildfires being one of those reasons it's like scrubland kind of like uh, I, dang, new dang, mexico or northern yeah. texas like yeah no water no water yeah. uh, dangerous actual dangerous animals that kill you like one hit oh yeah there's there's the other thing is that there's yeah. a bunch of animals and insects and stuff but i mean like the that's not all there is to the geography of Australia though like there are all of these like coastal areas that are that have like regionally diverse biodomes as well or bio, biomes I was about to say well. biodome like yeah. the <laughs> 90s yeah. no biomes um uh and like it's just so hot and dry and it's get the same conditions as Southern California, you know, the, uh, water is scarce to begin with. And then if there's other factors, uh, then. Okay. Uh, I actually brought up the map that I saw here. Okay. And, uh, yeah, that's the most popular one as you can see. Uh-huh. And yeah, uh, yeah, like I said, it's most, it looks like it's almost surrounding the country entirely. <laughs> yeah, that's the, pretty much. That's what has amazed me so far. It's mm-hmm. like, holy shit! Like, the entire country's on fire. It really is. I mean, it's like, like have you been to the desert southwest of the United States? Or no, like, unfortunately, I have not. Okay, yet. like you can imagine if you have been to the desert southwest, you can imagine this because there's like, or or like say Utah, a lot of. The best examples I know of, like, wildfires in Utah spreading, it's, like, scrubland, right? Like, there's just grass, and it grows, like, 
grass <laughs> in the springtime. Grass You is know, grass. when it's raining, you get the rainy season and all this grass sprouts up. And by the time you get to the dead of summer, it's all brown and dried up. You know, the, it hasn't rained in a couple of weeks or a couple of months or whatever. It hasn't rained enough. And, um, and then one lightning strike strikes a tree. The tree goes up. All the grass catches on fire. And then the, gr- the grass just spread like a firestorm. Just the entire field, the entire mountainside, the entire valley will be on, on fire. And the, the, the thing is, is that if it's just grass, it'll burn out in a couple of hours and just be done. You know, and then you have this like fertilized soil, basically, and that's a, a natural process that has existed forever. But when you have like weirdly planted trees or um, orchards or homes or telephone poles or things that Bas- basically didn't belong, anything you know, that nature did not sprout itself. Exactly, yeah, because there these processes happen, right? Like wildfires are a part of ecology because it, it it's like setting a reset switch and then it infuses the soil with a bunch of nutrients for the entire cycle to happen again but it, if you alter all that too much then you end up getting these places where there should have been a fire a long time ago but it hasn't happened because we've been mitigating it and mitigating it and mitigating it then all of a sudden with when you have a particularly dry season, everything can just go up in flames, and it's it's a shame to see the well, entire country yeah, <laughs> suffering it, from that at once. Yeah, you know? a few, continent. <laughs> yeah, a few things I've since I kept up on is that uh, apparently the fires are so strong as create like its own weather patterns, mm-hmm. there, which is resulting in more lightning, thus more fires. Yeah. Because all of that, like, it'll make a cyclone effect that brings a bunch of particulate, like ash and stuff, and, and burnt particles up into the sky where water can condense on it, and then it'll, like, yeah. it's the same thing that happens with volcanoes. Like, there'll be a storm, you know, 200 miles due east of the volcano, you yeah. know? And let's see what else. Oh, yeah, uh, I've seen, read the stories, seen the pictures of people who are, like, Camping out on the beaches, some people actually have boats and they're like out there. And it's like, okay, stay here for now, but if the fire gets close enough, you will have to go hide in the water. Yeah. Hide in the ocean. Which, um, the ocean's already fucked up enough. Yeah, dude. But Australia is another thing that I've heard plenty of stories of up there. Wonderful ocean beachfronts with all the sharks and groups of jellyfish that just <laughs> gangbang you. Yep. Australia's gnarly, dude. It's a gnarly place. Yeah, so so that shocked me where it's like, okay, everyone, uh, fire's too close. Go hide in the ocean. Yeah. And, of course, about the prime minister not being there, like he was vacationing off in Hawaii or something. Oh, no, was he? Yeah, he was. Everyone's pissed because there's... And, of course, kind of like here in America, they don't have the proper equipment, or they claim they don't have the money for it, so, like, you have firefighters with, like, shitty papier-mâché masks going in. Oh, man. Fucking A. sucks. And, uh, I think it was just yesterday, saw a picture that someone took of a baby kangaroo that I guess... Try to like jump a barbed wire fence, got caught and uh, barbecued, basically. Oh, uh, man! So, so like, 
Uh, all that shit's super sad. It's all sad. But that's fucking funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, it's funny. You got a barbecued kangaroo on a barbed wire yeah. fence. Like, there's there's humor in yeah. there. In- insert it's... crocodile dundee <laughs> shrimp on the bar. Yeah, exactly, dude. I, there's there's humor in there. Not to make light of a bad situation, but like... No, you can find yeah. humor in pretty much anything. Yeah. Whether it's in good taste or not, it's just really <laughs> exactly up to like your own moral compass and the timing, I guess. Mm. But yeah, uh, yeah, I guess this kind of goes into uh, my time with Christmas this year because uh, we can get into our Christmases in a sec. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, we're you see up in Alpena, Michigan, kind of like in other places around this great state. Uh, We've been dealing with flooding and uh, erosion. Yeah, a lot of erosion in the Great Lakes region this year. Yeah, um, oh boy. I spent, basically, I, one of the things I spent the week was uh, here, whenever I would talk about this with, like, my mom. Not really my dad. We have other discussions. But my mom was pretty much... When I tore like, hey, have you seen this erosion? This is not normal. Climate change, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, back in you know, my day growing up, the river was this high back then. So, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Sometimes the water's low, sometimes the water's high. And I'm like, mom, okay, mom, back in your day was like, the water's so high that it was like literally taking chunks of the state with it. Well, no, but, you know, this waterland was like this back in the day, so I don't know if it's much about climate change. I don't know how much I believe that. Uh, okay, uh, Boomer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, have, have you ever, I know how much you're, we've talked about this previously off this podcast, our mm-hmm. intimate conversations, but, it, <laughs> but you're actually, uh, but you're actually uh, very concerned about, about the Great Lakes in general, yeah, especially with the current erosion going. Yeah, I mean, if there's if there's something to be concerned about, it's the largest inland freshwater or the largest freshwater supply period in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty it's pretty fucking important. Yeah, you know. But, but first of all, yeah. uh, have you had to deal with that like me, like just people saying like, "Oh, it's just the weather. It's just the way nature is." You know, I've uh, well, my professional photography career bringing me to a lot of lakeshore properties i've actually had like probably a dozen conversations with historical landowners on the west coast of michigan this year and one conversation in particular um i was photographing a a historic like cottage that was right right on the shore of lake michigan and it's one of the oldest um, like g- recreational communities, like it's like a a little, it's a place in covert Michigan called um, oh god, it's named after the or or the um, god, I can't speak today. The new it's Palisades, Palisades Park, and Palisades Park is also where the nuclear reactor is. Um, that's that's still that's still there. Yeah. Oh yeah, because I thought they were gonna shut that shit down. Um, I I can't speak in with an, with any information on that. I I knew people that worked there back in like two thousand six and seven, um, but I don't know what its status is now. I honestly couldn't tell you. 
But all I know is that, like, directly south of that is this community of beach cottages. And I've taken photographs of maybe a dozen of these cottages, right? And the oldest one is way in the south of this park, right on the edge of the lake. And the um, family that owned it, uh, the, like, guy who's... Um, they, they weren't selling it, they're preparing it to be, like, rented out, because they live in California, um, but this guy and I were standing in, in this house, or cottage, or whatever you want to call it, and the lower level of the house has these windows that look out, and, like, when you're standing in the what is essentially the basement, like, your eye level, looking out these windows is the lake level. Mm-hmm. And so he and I started talking about beach erosion. And so like to paint the picture of this, this place, it's like there's a house and then maybe 12 feet a yard and then a, f- a fence and then a boardwalk. And on the other side of the boardwalk is a p- large pile of rocks that have been put there to break waves And so it was a particularly windy day and I'm sitting in this guy's basement, standing in this guy's basement, watching the waves come directly at my face and then explode on these rocks and go like 15, 20 feet up in the air. And I was like kind of just tiptoeing around the topic of beach erosion because a lot of the people don't want to talk about it because it's devalued their properties significantly. A lot of them have had a lot of damage. And well, so, uh, well, a lot yeah. of these people, uh, I don't know how much you know, but, like, are they in denial about it? This like, guy was not in denial they, at all. Or, so, no. or are they, like, the types where, like, based on their political or religious beliefs, just don't believe climate change or anything like that? Uh, I usually don't get into that with people. Like, that's kind. Of, it's kind of unprofessional to just show up and start talking about that yeah, kind of stuff yeah, with, with people. So I don't really get an opportunity to get into that very much. I, uh, I know, but, but I was thinking more along the lines, like, you're taking pictures, be like, wow, uh, waters really take a lot, up a lot of your property, huh? Yeah. Well, yeah, but, you know, it's not climate change like they say it is. You know, that's just the way right. God intended. Well, I mean... There's there's a certain amount of merit to that because the western coast of Michigan is consistent is con, it, it consists of dunes and dunes by nature do shift and move so there is like it's it has to do not only with wind erosion but also with the the currents of the lake and its level in general because the sand swirls up while the lakes are frozen over and it just relocates itself naturally. But it doesn't usually take 40-foot sections of, of shoreline with it in a dramatic way repeatedly over weeks. Yeah, yeah, that, but, yeah that's something I'm always yeah. telling people about climate change is that they always say, like, well, it's natural, this. I'm like, yeah, it is natural, but here's the thing. It's, yeah. it's a natural process, but it's a... It's being unnaturally it, accelerated. Yeah, it's accelerated. Like, it's being put on steroids. Mm-hmm. You know? Anyway, this guy... Uh, this house man, he was describing to me the change. So he's been coming to this property since he was a child in the 50s, right? And so he was telling me, like, we're, we're standing there and he's describing this property to me. And he's like, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, 
we had another 20 feet a yard, and then there was a seawall, and, and that seawall was about 10, 15 feet high, and then there was another maybe 30 feet of beach. So when we were young, we would play baseball on the beach, and home plate would be the lake shore, the edge of the lake, the water, and then the entirety of the beach was the baseball diamond, and the outfield was the seawall. So, like, you got a home run if you hit the baseball and hit the seawall. And so we're standing in this guy's yard, and all of what he's describing is underwater. And so I, I asked about the seawall, and I'm like, so is the seawall what the rocks are backed up against? And he says, no, the rocks are actually piled on top of the remnants of what was the seawall that was constructed in the 1940s. So when I went outside the house to take pictures of the exterior, he told me to look down because there's like a little fire pit next to the house and like a little like sandy beach area. And um, he goes, when you stand out there by the fire pit, look down into the water and you'll see the old seawall. And so I looked down and sure enough, there's a ladder going into the, the depths of Lake Michigan and I can't see the bottom of it. And this is where the guy was telling me that's where they used to climb down to play baseball on a 30-foot-long stretch of beach that is like 20 feet underwater now. So not only, not only has erosion reduced their, like, the distance between their home and the lake, but also the lake levels have risen like 20 feet to the point where, like, those windows that I was looking out at lake level, that used to be, like, an elevation of 20, 25 feet. And, you know, it, it was just shocking to... Because you could see all of the elements of the story. Like, there was no, like, guesswork involved. Like, oh, it used to look like this. Or looking at a historical photograph and trying to, like match it up in your mind like where everything went it's like you could look at this this guy's telling me that when he was a kid he had to climb down a ladder to get to a beach and then run a, a stretch to get to the water and that ladder is underwater now and that is just insane man like and just rising lake levels and a little bit of erosion and dune migration don't account for that type of change in what is geologically a you know a microsecond like 60 years time is not that much on a geological scale and so yeah there is natural beach erosion but you have places out in uh, on the western coast of Michigan like uh sleeping bear dunes and like mount baldy down by uh um uh, Mount Baldhead? Uh, Baldhead, yeah, whatever. whatever <laughs> Mount Baldy. I don't know, whatever. Bald something down in the southwest uh, near Sawyer. And, like, that's been there. It's It's just been there in that same location for a long time. And, like, so even though there is dune migration, that generally takes all a really long time because grasses grow in the dunes. They keep the dunes from eroding too bad and the winds change and... Things have to to happen. Like, you're literally picking up grains of sand in the wind and moving them a couple of feet at a time. It takes hundreds and thousands of years, generally, to do that. But now... Human activity. Yeah, it's happening in a m much more accelerated rate. 
It has yeah. to do with ship props and, you know, uh, Great Lakes shipping moves sand around in unnatural ways. and Yeah. Uh, <coughs> yeah. Dude, if, if you're going to vomit, just vomit. Because <laughs> it kind of looks like... No, know, I'm not going to vomit. Like, <laughs> like uh, I know you're concerned about climate change, but goddamn. No, I'm just, like I was saying earlier, I have these nasty sulfurous broccoli burps. So every time I have like a little burst of indigestion, it's just... It tastes like I've eaten a bunch of match heads or something like that. I don't know what's right. going on with me. All right, so uh, honestly, it's well established that you care yeah. about the Great Lakes. I do, yes. I know that besides photography, you're also a professional diver. Mm-hmm. So, I wouldn't call it professional, but I, I'm an experienced diver. Experienced sure. diver. Yeah. You have a license. I have, Yeah, I have an advanced license and some certifications. Yeah, yeah. I think that's professional on some level there. Yeah, yeah but... Uh, so, what are your reasons for, like, uh, caring about the Great Lakes? Caring about the Great Lakes specifically? Like, I, water conservation is a huge deal for me and always has been. Um, but I think that just really comes out of the realization that, like, we are so dependent on water that it's, like... Uh, uh, a, a suicidal tendency of our entire species to like to disabuse our water systems like it is the most it's more important than food man like water is like we can't get food without water like we can't eat food without water we can't exist without water and we can only go like a day or two without water without serious serious problems so I think that's the the base reason why, but also like, you know, I, I I've enjoyed like water sports. I've always been a, a kayaker and a swimmer and that kind of stuff. So insert shitty sex joke. Water <laughs> yeah. sports. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, go on. Continue. <laughs> I'm not good at this. Um, I think the the biggest reason that I I decided that like my pet issue environmental issue is is water access and um uh like just general water cleanliness is uh, uh twofold one of those issues being like as a diver like finding plastic trash in the ocean and in lakes and rivers and stuff it, just, it drives me absolutely bonkers that people just dump trash out of their vehicles or whatever and just throw it in the fucking river. Like it just, uh, it makes, it makes me very angry. Um, but also when uh, this goes back to me being on the Appalachian trail in 2014, um, and when you live out of a backpack, like you, you reduce your needs to like basic human needs. Right. And, the most important thing of every day for me was figuring out how I was going to get water, figuring out how much I was going to carry with me, where the next place I was going to get water was, and then ensuring that that water that I got was clean. And I I ended up, there was one day where I had hiked to a spring, and it was like, we're talking three, four, five miles with a backpack on just to get water that wasn't part of the trail. Um, and the spring was dry and contaminated. And so I couldn't get water that day until I hiked all the way to the next water stop. 
And so I had gone from like 5 a.m. to like 10 p.m. without drinking water. And I just like I thought it just made me think like what if you couldn't get water, right? Like it's so detrimental to everything. Everything starts shutting down when you're dehydrated and exhausted like that, dude. You start hallucinating and like you can't think straight and like words don't come out of your mouth properly and and like moving takes great effort and it's just bad. And so that I think was like a wake up call to me that like, oh, hey, let's string a a fucking oil pipeline through the Straits of Mackinac. Like, Oh, uh, I guess I could leave. I already know some of this, but what are your biggest concerns about the Great Lakes besides, uh, erosion going on? Erosion. There's the line five pipeline, the Enbridge yeah, pipeline, en- Enbridge pipeline. And then, which um, I assure you, we need there for jobs. Yes. Yeah. Asian carp. That's a big problem. Uh, zebra mussels are an interesting story because, um... Oh, that, that's been the, going on since, like, even when my dad was... Yeah, there was, like, it was, like, World War Two ship, World War Two ships emptying their, um, uh, ballast tanks that caused that. And, uh, and, like, iron shipping, um, in the Great Lakes in the in 20s yeah, and 30s. Basically and any shit that comes yeah. from the ocean into the Great Lakes. Yep, yeah, yeah, and that, my next... Lit item on that list is uh, Asian carp. That's a really, really big issue, and it's coming. Um, and yeah, those are the fish that whenever they you look up like a YouTube video, yeah, they're, they they're jump all out they're of all the water, jumping, they're yeah. smacking you. Yeah, but if you try to eat them, they apparently taste like shit. Yeah, they're they're not good eating, and they are like crazy, crazy like, um, omnivorous devourers of everything. Like, they'll just eat all the catfish, all the bass, all the pike. Like, they're bigger than everything. They could, like, if they get into the lake system, they could decimate the natural populations of, of fish that we, like, not only do we eat here in Michigan, but also, like... Lake Ontario, dude, there's, and, and Lake Erie and Lake Superior, there's so much, like, walleye fishing and panfish fishing that, like, that would affect the global supply of freshwater perch and stuff like that. And, of course, I was in seafood sales for four years, so I have that angle on this whole thing, too. Like, uh, the Great Lakes are not only important as, like, a source of fresh water and, like, the watersheds of all of the surrounding areas, including Canada and, you know, Minnesota and Wisconsin and upstate New York and Pennsylvania and all of those areas are part of the Great Lakes watershed. So, um, you know, there's just innumerable issues. It's an international border zone, um, you know, massive overfishing. Um, There's been mining problems with fracking and chemicals leaching and, um, you know, the paper industry in southwest Michigan has contributed to a large amount of what's essentially Uh, public poisoning, you know. Oh, God, we got a uh, place in Alpena called DP, Decorative Panels, Mm -hmm. deals with a lot of that. Donkey Punch, dual penetration. Should should be, because... It used to be called Abbot Tibby, and we just called that out of habit. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. They just 
fucking reek. Yeah. Like, the Norse... I've, I've been alive for 30, 32 years, going on 33. Mm-hmm. I have never gone to that, the north side part of my town and not... It, it smells like shit. It always has. <laughs> because of this fu- fucking paper panel place. Yeah. And there's, you know... Uh, there's a lot of companies like that in Michigan. And part of the reason was the navigable waterways. Like, if you're going to have products that weigh a lot, like large reams and rolls of paper and um, animal pelts and iron ore and copper ore and refined iron and copper and steel. Like, those are the types of things that were getting shipped and moved around Michigan. And, you know, in even now there's not much of a rail system around here. Like, it's all the end of the rails. Like Oh, yeah. I, I know a guy that... Uh who used to be a traveler, at least, Mm -hmm. you know, cross-punk traveler kid. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that he lamented when he was bitching on his blog once, is that uh, it was hard for him to find a train to jump out of in Michigan because uh, it's Mm kind of where it ends, everything. Or there's just nothing there, especially, like, farther north you go. And that's because of Great Lakes shipping. Like, they didn't need to run things on rails in Michigan as much because they had the lakes and rivers. And that's the way things have been around here since the beginning well, of time. Well, that's one one reason why they justify the Enbridge pipeline. It's like, well, you know, it's not as dangerous to carry, to carry oil through a pipe going under the straits as opposed to, say, putting it on a train. And there may be... There may be merit to that too. I guess you know? I guess so, but like what's more dangerous, you know, putting a pipe underneath an area of Michigan that will spread out to every Yeah, and that's my or, big point, you or, know. Or or, you know, a train full of oil that like derails and does like a fucking bay explosion. Mm-hmm. So I've dived on a number of wrecks in Tobamori, which is on the Bruce Peninsula in Ontario, Canada, um, basically right across Lake Huron from Alpena. And um, diving on those wrecks, you kind of get a sense that, like, shipping on especially Lake Superior and the eastern parts of the Great Lakes, it's still ongoing, it's still a problem, and weather can change and alter the, like, they're, you know, I I was having a conversation with the same guy that lived in that cottage in Palisades, and he was telling me that trying to describe the Great Lakes to people in California that have never been to Michigan and are kind of dumb, they don't understand, like, they they think of a lake, and they think of, like, Lake Tahoe, or, or like, Hmm. some some lake in California, you know, Sultan Sea, like, they, they think of a small place like you can see it it, and it's you get to a crater lake right you get to the top and you can see the other side um and they they don't understand how big the great lakes are that like the the glacial carving of those lakes makes them like 500 feet deep in places like it's a giant gouge taken out of the earth that's completely filled with fresh water and it is the source of so much of I mean basically the entire eastern side of the Rockies is the um the watershed of the Great Lakes. I mean, 
obviously you get to a certain point and things flow to the uh, Gulf of Mexico, but like all of the the farmland of the like traditional old United States was part of this watershed. Yeah, you know, God, my uh, my brother and his girlfriend they live down in Nashville. Mm-hmm. They're set to move back here this summer, and uh, when they first got there, they were they were like taking tours and shit. Apparently, they went on one where guys like. Now, everyone, if you look over here, see this beautiful lake, or no, beautiful pond. Mm-hmm. And they look at it, it was just this shitty brown southern water. Yeah. <laughs> Along with, like, the... And he told me that, yeah, people down there think that's kind of what water is. Yeah. But then but they're like, oh, I'm from Michigan. That does not look clean in yeah. comparison to what we have. Yeah, well, there there's a lot of silt deposits in the south, and that kind of thing. So the water does look muddy pretty much. Oh, yeah. All the I time. mean, yeah. when we went to visit Nashville, of course, you know, saw the river that's right next to downtown there. Mm-hmm. Look at it. I'm like, Ugh, I, I thought the Grand River <laughs> and the Chicago <laughs> River was bad. Yeah. I mean, pollute, man, pollution and erosion have been central to like the Michigan, Michigan's main ecological concerns since the 1830s. Like, I mean, it makes sense considering that's like our big, yeah, our big to do around here. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's one of our largest resources is the access to fresh water and navigable waterways and inland lakes. And the idea that people are just going to carelessly dump chemicals for you know, industrial wastes into these things. Speaking of which, remember that sweet accent on the Detroit River there, which <laughs> yeah. was basically like nuclear waste went yeah. into it. So, so that's another I, thing that comes up often. Like the the places that we've decided to store nuclear waste as a civilization are absolutely stupid. Like this nuclear waste and and like. Uh, I don't know exactly what it is. It's some some kind of nuclearly soiled product is stored in like a stone's throw from the Detroit River in Ontario. And, right? and well, you see how well that happened. Exactly, it went to the Detroit River, and uh, I don't know. I guess if you take a dive or you drink it, <laughs> I remember the first RoboCop movie where that. Uh, Villain got soaked with ooze. He like mutated. Yeah, yeah. That's gonna be Detroit residents yeah. soon, I guess. I remember a story yeah. about four turtles and a rat that that happened too. As oh, well. really? <laughs> Do tell. It sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they were like ninjas actually, or something. Actually, uh, continuity here. That was like actually an alien ooze. Yeah, in most continuities. Well, in the movie, it was a oh, it yeah. was oh, ecological yeah. runoff or yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it made like sunflowers super huge. Yeah, and it made Shredder super big, but he then fucking kills himself by <laughs> by chopping down so much support that the building the falls, on falls on him. Yeah, like, yeah, epic battle between <laughs> Super Shredder and the turtles. Boom, dead. But uh, <laughs> no, if I. My big concerns when it comes to the Great Lakes, here they are. Uh, they're pretty much, er- like, uh, for some reason I never thought, like, I never really think of aging carp or zebra mussels. Mm-hmm. It's uh, erosion, line five, and uh, basically, I guess to wrap in with uh, 
what we just discussed in Detroit, basically corporate control of the walker. Yeah. Like, because you see they get accidents like this, or you're like Nestle, where you just, well, you're given licenses to take as much water as you want. Yeah. It can't be in the lakes if it's in a plastic bottle on a shelf at Walmart. And if they're shipping it out of state, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I've gotten to the whole argument of, well, you know, they give bottles of that to people in Flint. Like, oh, let's talk about Flint. Though. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, uh, Flint still poison their people. Y- yeah. And, That's a problem. I mean... And Snyder's still free. Our former governor, Rick Snyder, still fucking yeah. free. And I think he will never be brought to justice. Oh, no. Of which, course not. Which is... Fucking awful. Yeah, his so, hands are washed clean of that whole mo- uh, well, they entire keep, mess. They keep yeah. saying that they're doing new investigations and shit, which mm-hmm. is, yeah, better than nothing, but... Well, and, you know, on the topic of Line 5, that same company, Enbridge, like, four or five years ago, I think it's longer now, there was an oil link, oil leak into the Kalamazoo River from a pipeline... Oh, really? ...from Enbridge. Oh really? Yeah. This, this must have been a little story. Like I've, <laughs> I'm sure it didn't get picked up by national media or anything. Yeah. No one has heard heard of it. They probably haven't, honestly. Actually, okay. Oh god, I am doing fucking sarcasm here. I know, but <laughs> but yeah, it was fucking big. I remember reading it everywhere. Actually. Yeah, it that has a tendency to just get lost in the fog, though. I don't think well, it's it's lost now. But, yeah, but with. But for, I say, like, the first year, it was on. So, I was an intern at uh, the local, um, what would you even call it? Public, it's public access, but it's also, like, um... Public access television? Yeah, yeah, it's a media network, right? It's not just access TV, because they do radio stations Uh, there. Is this the one out of WMU? No. Okay. It's the one out of downtown Kalamazoo, and um, I, I, they part of their charter is to cover the local government meetings. So for four months in 2014, I operated the video cameras for the Kalamazoo City Commission, and during that period of time, um, they were. I think over six weeks of that four-month period, they were uh, holding public hearings of the status of cleanup efforts by Enbridge in the Kalamazoo River. So it was it had been dredged. You know, the entire river was dredged to get rid of this these oil deposits, and in some places they're still there. But admittedly and honestly, they did a good job cleaning up the river. They left it better than they found it. After they fucking dumped a bunch dumped of oil it. into it, right? Yeah. But that being said, there was a lot of residual pollution that got brought up when those dredgings happened because of yeah. the history of disposing of industrial wastes into the local rivers, specifically from the paper industry. So there's PCBs and mercury and um, this these things, PFAS, uh, you know? A quick story, uh... During this time, I was running for the Western Herald. Okay. We were, talk- we were talking about stories, and we were talking about yeah. this. 
And uh, we brought PCBs by accident. We said PCP during the meeting. Oh, nice. They're like, uh, excuse me, Garrett? I'm like, PCP. Whoa, shit. No, that's not what I meant. <laughs> so we had a nice laugh. You're like, well, yeah. people be diving into the river. There's PCP in it. <laughs> Just taking gulps of water while you're kayaking by yeah. it. Uh, the wastewater treatment plant that just squirts shit water into the fucking Kalamazoo River when it floods. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I remember that through that. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I did a few stories which uh, I got bashed for by my friends at the time. Air quotes because mm-hmm. uh, I presented both sides. By which I mean like Enbridge's response to this, <laughs> like an actual like, journalist. Like, yeah, and like a. Uh, and, you know, local, uh, what local groups are saying, what Enbridge says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were pretty much pissed that I wasn't writing opinion pieces on their yeah. behalf. Yeah, which is a shame, man. I, opinion pieces is what's ruining journalism. Oh, God, I have so many fucking stories about bullshit that I put up with mm-hmm. by being a her- herald journalist. Mm-hmm. But that that's for another day. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I remember both reporting on, writing stories about it a little bit, and... While I was politically active, I wasn't really politically active when it comes to, like, protesting Enbridge or cleaning up it. Mm-hmm. But I do remember groups like M.I. Cats, I think they were called, and uh, local activist Chris Wamoff was uh, really working on that. Mm-hmm. His big thing, and I still think he's dealing with, like, court stuff today for it, was uh, when he rode a skateboard into, like, one of the um, Enbridge pipes there as a form of protest. Huh. Yeah, when, when I first heard it, like, I thought he, like, just ra- radical, radical his way into it, like, you know, really like a regular skateboard, but mm-hmm. no, it turns out he just got on his stomach and then rolled in. Oh. So I guess, besides the legal shit that he still deals with today, he, uh, I guess deals with, uh, like, uh, health problems due to doing that, because he spent a couple of hours in there until they finally convinced him to come out. I don't know how effective that might have been or not been. I don't know. Enbridge is no company to be friendly with, you know? Like uh, hell, hell no, I mean... I, the, the point that I keep wanting to make is that like that South Dakota pipeline ended up fucking yeah. rupturing and spilling. After, oh, it's not going to happen. It's, we got the highest technology. Dude, when you take a steel pipe and you make it stretch out for miles and miles and miles with joints... One of those joints is going to fail, period. Yeah. There is no safe pipeline. But, dude, think about it. How many jobs did they bring to that area? Oh, and let's not forget, it was on uh, indigenous land. And yeah. You know how, uh, how much us uh, white people in America really care about indigenous land, right? Yeah, man. That's, you know, you can... Again, sarcasm, yeah, people. You can talk it's about fuck that, too. Even around here, man, that, that has created so many problems like there's you know the the casinos too that's another issue like Uh, dude alcoholism in native communities and like my my grandmother is a uh i think a potawatomi um native american i can't remember exactly which tribe or 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 however you would refer to it she came from so like i get a little bit of a window into that world too not much you know 
But uh, you have tribal membership? No, no. Uh, so my story with that is uh, there was some type of records house in Toronto that was burnt down in the late 1800s, and that contained the um, like the proper documentation for us to prove our tribal allegiance. And so uh, in the 60s, my grandmother and grandfather brought my dad to Toronto to try to get these documents, and it was found out that they no longer exist because uh, of this fire. Does also prove your your link to the Trudeau family? Uh, that is proven. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, her name is Trudeau. Like, my oh. grandmother's maiden name is Trudeau, and they came from Ontario. Which, uh, I don't know how, I haven't really kept up on it, but uh, Justin Trudeau is a big fan of Enbridge. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, um... And I guess he's not—he's not as bad as some politicians there, but uh, still pretty shitty to like the First Nations Indigenous people. Yeah, yeah. And, well, uh, there's a lot of like because kind because of, just like here they're dealing with you know pipelines and general racism. Yeah. Well, there was his—he did like a blackface oh, thing God. in college, and that was yeah. a huge mess. Yeah, but it's one of those—that's one of those things where like, yeah, it's offensive and it's stupid, but. Uh, did you see this pipeline that he ran through this indigenous graveyard? Yeah. I think that's a little bit more fucked up. Yeah, dude. And it's like, I don't give a shit about him dress up like an Aladdin character when he's literally fucking up lands. Yeah, or putting nuclear waste on the coastline like a complete imbecile. Wait, wait that was Trudeau? I thought that was us on, I thought that was on our side. No, it's on the Canadian side. It's the Canadians that are that are putting that. I mean, I well, there's a bunch of nuclear waste and, and like industrial waste by like Zug Island and stuff. But oh, I'm, they're shutting that down actually. Yeah, which I actually talked to my dad about because uh, he when he sailed on the boats in the '80s, he would often go to Zug Island. Hmm. So he has some insight on there. Nice. And uh, yeah, it's pretty much just a is. See, with Zug Island, not Michiganders, it kind of has like a mystique around it mm-hmm. because it's a man made island, it's industrial, it's called Zug. <laughs> how, many, how many names have you heard of that? Yeah. And actually, just like a lot of factories and industries, they have signs of saying like no cameras, you know, everything's walled off, which makes sense from a security standpoint. Mm-hmm. But they treat it like it's a big conspiracy, you know. Yeah, they, oh, what was it? There's like a 40-cycle hum or something that yeah, comes the, from the island. Yeah, yeah the Windsor hum. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of, heard of it the last few times I was in Windsor. I was kind of hoping. <laughs> but then again, I was usually hammered at, at a cheetah strip club. Nice. So I don't think I'll hear it anyway. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's shutting down and, uh, so my dad told me some stories about it. He's like, eh, there's nothing there. It's not like conspiracies or mutants. It's just a place where you drop shit off and we would have to like wait here because it was a dangerous neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I guess the St. Clown Posse worked there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they even like had a rock band on Psychopathic Records called Zug Island. Mm-hmm. They did indeed. Which was really good, actually. Mm-hmm. I guess Violent J wrote a good majority of songs too because he wanted to like be his rock project. Yeah, that was shortly after they did that bizarre, bizarre yeah, album uh, that was like rock themed, and that was yeah. right after Cypress Hill did the same thing. Where well, they yeah, did rock I, and rap ICP's superstar. always been like rap rock, mm-hmm. but uh, this was like 
Violent J being like solely rock, hard rock. Yeah. The only, the only song I remember is called Fire. Mm-hmm. Fire, baby, don't you know who we are? Fire, baby. <laughs> I don't. I remember listening to Zug Island. Yeah, they had. They called their van their fans Zuggalos. Zuggalos. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, Michigan. Uh, Michigan made. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's my two big concerns when it comes to Great Lakes. It's just uh, climate change, how it's affecting that, and uh, corporate control. Mm-hmm. I guess generalize right there. Yeah, corporate control of waterways is a bad, bad news yeah, situation, especially with climate change drying everything up. Yeah, guess who's gonna? It's pretty much gonna be like that Mad Max movie where you know the guy with the hockey mask and the spiked jockstrap step away from the Great Lake. <laughs> Just walk away. Walk away. <laughs> Uh, Fury Road was awesome too when I saw it. I don't know that one. Oh, look at oh check it out it's the latest Mad Max film. It's really good. Oh, cool. Doesn't star Mel Gibson, but uh, Tom Hardy. <laughs> He's actually really good. He's not like you know he does more than you know. Bane from Bat from Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> I am a super villain from the Middle East, but I sound like a very excitable, ju- excitable British man. British man. I will break you, Batman. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. What would you uh, say to inserting a break period in this here uh, podcast? Uh, you want to do that? Yeah, I have a need to go down the hallway here for Well, we can continue this. You know, I just follow you with this. Because, uh, you know, we just got a voice recorder and we can catch the natural sounds here at the... <laughs> the sounds of the ocean. Park, at the Park Trade Center. Okay, well, we'll take a break. Uh, mm. Be back in a sec, folks. Yes, we'll be back. If ever I could raise my head up higher if ever I could say what I meant If ever my plans were to break and spill on the floor And surely that time came and went If ever, if ever, may as well be never Or else we couldn't afford the price Of the walk we tried to take together all the while slipping on the ice I swept up all the dust in the hallway I swept till there were blisters on my fingers I swept the same tiles again and again while all the bears slept through the wind Sweep and sweep till the broom became the dust The clouds put tears in my eyes Now the floors are smooth so you'll have to wear your shoes Or it'll be like slipping on the ice and I'm sorry for all the lies that I told you I'm sorry for all your time that I've wasted Sorry, cause I know my penance is unwelcome. I don't 
Two has begun. Yes. Apologies for my gastrointestinal distress. Yeah, and uh, while you're gone, I once again thought about uh, something that my housemate and I are gonna have to talk about later tonight. Oh. <sighs> okay. Basically, uh, my housemate has probably the loudest, most relentless alarm clock I've ever come across. Like, <laughs> as in, it's a digital clock. And it is loud as hell. Like, it wakes me up from, like, my room is right right next to hers. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's in my room. Wow. And uh, this has been going on for, like, a year is that uh, 
I, I'm probably fine. I'll tell you what I talked to her about it, but I assume that she sets it for like certain days to go off at certain times, mm-hmm. but her schedule changes or she forgets. So like, it'll be like a Saturday morning and it'll go off at like five o'clock <laughs> it'll wake me up, and I'll wait for her to turn it off, but since she's not around, it keeps going. Because mm. also this clock, unlike other clocks where like it automatically snoozes itself, this thing does not snooze. <laughs> so like I usually wait for like 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes at a time. I'm like, okay, then I would get up. Here's another thing. Uh, her clock is like right next to her door there on her dresser. Mm-hmm. I assume to like help her like get up and get going in the morning. So, so like I literally just for over a year now, just crack the door, go in there with my hand. I wouldn't enter the room and just tap on like the clock or whatever, the digital clock mm-hmm. and shut it off. Mm-hmm. I would usually have to do this twice. Cause there's like two alarms. Yeah. So this morning, uh, I had my alarm set for 9.30, but hers woke me up at 9 o'clock. <laughs> 10 minutes, and I get up, I put on, like, my robe and that. I'm like, okay, I might as well get in the shower, get ready to go, Kalamazoo, to mm-hmm. podcast with Zach Obad. <laughs> so I, I cracked the door again, you know, as usual. Yeah. The big difference this time, though, is that she was home this time. So she apparently got up the same time that I opened the door, and like me, I guess she was like, crazy just woken up mm-hmm. did not realize my arm was there and like went out to shut it off our hands touched and we both freaked out <laughs> like oh, holy shit oh, oh god it, it was so fucking awkward I can't I'm like oh my god I am so sorry she's like it's okay it's okay I'm like listen your your alarm clock does this all the time it wakes me up and I just do this automatically Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm not bussing into your room. Right. And that's the thing, I've been mean always to talk to her about it, but the thing is, she's never around because our schedules are so different. Mm-hmm. And then I just forget about it later on until it happens again. Yeah. Like, so, since this happened, I will talk to her tonight, and this is probably just a case of me just making a mountain out of a molehill. Because I have yeah. a thing of doing that and, like, lingering on events mm-hmm. sometimes for even years on end yeah it's easy to do that though yeah so i don't think like when i get home she'll be like so mad like how dare you come in my room blah blah right i'm just gonna say like listen i'm sorry and but this is what happens mm-hmm. like i'm not mad at you but i need to sleep and i have to show off <laughs> your alarm because your alarm wakes me up and you're not around. Yeah. I, I am I am a person that has been guilty of this specific thing in the past. Well, that's yeah. the thing, like, I've sometimes have left my, my alarm on too, but like I said, it either automatically snoozes itself, mm-hmm. or, I mean, it wakes you up, but it's not so loud that it disturbs the entire house. Yeah. Like, my, my thing this morning was like, okay, I'll shut it off, go take a shower, then when I come out, the second alarm will come, and I will even hear it in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Like, you can hear it throughout the entire apartment. That's how <laughs> fucking loud this thing is. And I even have concern, like, the people below us if they hear it. Because her room is, like, below one of the bedrooms there. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to have a little talk about that. And I'm just going to tell her, like, hey, this is what happens. I guess, could you 
maybe try to be a little more mindful of like when you have it on or like when you set when you set it in that. Yeah. Then this shit won't happen again. <laughs> this is how we live together civilly. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> she's a great housemate. We've been mm. together for like three years now, and mm. we understand each other. That's good. So I again I. My rational mind's saying this is no big deal, let's talk about it. Mm. But my lizard mind's like, oh god, you fucked up. She's gonna think you're a creep entering her room yeah. when she's not around, blah blah, she's gonna wanna leave. <sighs> nah. I think you're good, man. I she know. probably knows that it's annoying as fuck. But I, as a person well, well, who. Oh, well, that's the thing. I honestly don't know if she knows. Cause, like, I have wondered that for, like, whenever I would go out for the weekends or go on my week-long vacations, like, mm-hmm. does it go off then? Does she, like, come home, like, the next day and, and her still alarm's going, going off? off? Yeah. Yeah. I've done that before, dude. <laughs> I know. But, again, like, does your is your alarm so loud that yes. it's, it's, it, it goes off throughout the entire house? Yes. my So I have really big problems going to sleep and really big problems waking up once I... Same. You know, and this is partly because I tend to work... I, I never have the uh, the same sleep schedule. Like, may, like last night, I didn't even get back into town until three thirty a.m. and then I continued to chat with my brothers until five a.m. and then slept for six hours. Got up, had some coffee, and came here. Right. Yeah. But for me, I will set you know ten alarms to begin an hour and twenty minutes before I need to be awake, and then going off every 15 minutes and usually it's something loud like mashuga at top volume or so like dude i've i've like dated girls in the past and woken them up at 4:30 a.m. with fucking mashuga alarm clocks and gotten like slapped and stuff yeah. like well yeah. that's that's another thing too it is just a droning relentless alarm like yeah uh, and this is probably cuz my do my own shitty sleeping habits and probably drinking and uh, <clears throat> chemical usage. Yeah. But I've actually had, like, like it would go off, and, like, I wouldn't wake up right away. It would, like, invade my dreams. Oh, wow. And, like, I would be tortured in my dream trying to shut this fucking thing off, but I can't <laughs> find it. Or it would get, like, really scary, like, if I'm, like, in nuclear wasteland, or I'm, mm. like, trying to fight a demon. Yeah. No, this uh, then you hear like eh, 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 eh. it's like uh, <laughs> then you then you then you then you wake up and it's like holy shit. Yeah. No, I had one of those alarm clocks that won't shut off unless you turn it off. Yeah. Doesn't have a snooze button ooh, and was ooh. programmed to like you you would set the time for each day and then it, there was a button on the side for weekend cancel so like yeah that's why I know. think is with hers like yeah. she has that 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 it's a digital clock so it has yeah. like a thing where like you can set it by days and I think she like does that like by the week mm-hmm. and then something goes on like oh I had the day off I get go to my boyfriend's house yeah then she forgets it then. Five in the morning when I'm trying to sleep off a drunk. Yeah, <laughs> and that like my old uh, my old roommate many times had to go into my room and unplug my clock like while I was got like yeah, oh that, I'm I'm gone for two weeks yeah that, in in yeah, state here yeah. yeah that's that's gonna be my thing too I was like listen I'm sorry I didn't mean to evade your privacy but I need to shut this off because I need to sleep yeah and let's be honest. Uh, 
And let's be fair, I think anyone else would do it. And if one of my shit was, one of my alarm clocks were doing that, you have permission to go in my room. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, yeah. That's what I'm going to be doing tonight. Yep, the the old Ooh. alarm clock Ooh. conversation Ooh. with the roommate. Who fucking who. <laughs> yep. You know what? Before we get back into other depressing topics, <laughs> well, let's go into some lighter stuff. Um, All right. How was your Christmas? It was good. What did yeah. you do? I I stuck around town, man. Um, you know, I I've been preparing for a lot of music stuff to happen in the ne- in the next couple of months. So I really spent the week around Christmas, um, kind of going back and forth between um, my office here in Kalamazoo and my storage area at my parents' house in Portage, and my storage area at uh, up in Grand Rapids where I keep all my music gear. And I've been, you know, repairing drums and, um, like, setting up new kits and all sorts, and practicing and um, writing, like, uh, transcribing music and stuff. So that's what I spent a majority of my time around Christmas doing. I was also sick that entire week, so all of Christmas Day I basically was in a bathrobe with, like, a box of Kleenex and just carrying around a garbage can and like blowing my nose and throwing. Like, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Yep. So I, I was pretty sick. Um, I've been going back to the gym, um, three or four days a week. So I, I did a lot of running while I was, uh, on, I, I call it my Christmas break because like I, I took pictures of maybe like five homes in the last two weeks. Like I haven't worked hardly at all. I, I did the some photography of uh, some art glass blowers in in the building, and um, I'm working with a local trucking company to produce a video. So I'm I'm working, but like not like I usually work. So I'm taking that time to to get my music gear in order, clean stuff up, get rid of shit that's broken. Um, just kind of clean house. So I've been doing really boring domestic tasks. For the last two weeks, so I guess you could say my Christmas was like pleasant, family oriented, and non stressful. All right. <laughs> well, my Christmas, uh, I I call it my Christmas break too because uh, I only worked Monday that week. Mm-hmm. And you see, unlike previous years, kind of like New Year's, Christmas wasn't like near a weekend. Right. Chris, it was on it was Tuesday Wednesday. and Wednesday. Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah. Yeah, so um, that would mean that, and see, I usually ask for days off, because basically it, we get Christmas Eve and Christmas Day off, which means the day after Christmas I would have to go to work, but that would mean I would have to leave in the middle of Christmas to drive four hours back here to Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. And as I, even as I said back when I first got my shitty, shitty warehouse job in 2013, there is no way I am leaving in the middle of Christmas to come back to this shithole. <laughs> so, uh, for the first time ever in my now seven years at this warehouse, I called in two days in a row. Wow. Which is what you're allowed to do. You know, the third day you have to have, like, a doctor's note mm-hmm. proving you're fucked up. Sure. It used to be fourth day, but then they reduced it down because it's fair, according to our union. Mm. Ugh. But, um, anyway, so they didn't give it to me, and, you know, it's like, well, Gary, you know, we, 
there's some people that still have PDOs, and, you know, you can't do excuse absences because of PDO, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, fine, then I'm just going to call in sick both days. But, um, so yeah, I did that, and, uh, unfortunately, folks, uh, fans of this podcast, you may have noticed that, uh, Sadly, there was no Christmas in Alpinus 3 this year. <laughs> Christmas in Alpinus! Yeah, there, yeah, we've done that every year. Our very mm-hmm. first episode was a Christmas in Alpinus episode. Mm-hmm. I contacted the two folks from Alpina. First ever guest, Adam Strohshine, and a local Alpina musician, Victor Kahn. And we were setting up. It was pretty good. But then, um... A little thing called life happened. Oh, dear. Which I do not have, so... They both had to cancel. Adam had family, Victor had to work, and I had nothing, so I sat on my fat ass and did nothing. <laughs> so, sadly, I don't know, Christmas Now Penis 3 will happen next year. Well, okay, it's 2020, so hopefully this year it'll happen. But, uh, yeah, so for Christmas, I, uh, majority of the time I just sat around and napped. Like, I didn't get any writing done like I wanted to. Mm-hmm. But at this time, it's like, you know what? I probably deserve to not even write. Yeah. Oh, I booked myself a writing sabbatical in Denver, man. I'm, I'm going to oh, really? spend two days writing. Nice. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. That's, something, that's something I have thought about doing because I've heard of writers who, like, will, like, I don't know, take a weekend or even a whole week and just book a room somewhere and just yep. stay locked up. That's exactly what I'm going to yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. Bizarre writer Carlton Mellick, whose work I showed you, mm-hmm. I don't know, I think you may still have it. I think I do. Yeah, yeah uh, he straight up has a cottage that he goes to, and uh, all his books, which are relatively short, he just goes to his cottage now anyway. He mm-hmm. just cranks them out in a week. Wow. That's how he does it. Yeah. I, That's kind of my dream. It's like, okay, if I just find one place where I just sit in there and just chill. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be like a small place too. Like, I have thought about a Saga Tuck, for example. Okay. Of going there. Well, not really in the summer because you really can't get rooms there. Mm-hmm. But, right, right now I probably could. Just basically a nondescript, small nondescript place where, you know, it's not like, oh, go to Chicago, right? Because, like, there's too much shit there that I want to do. You know what you might want to look into, and one thing that I've always wanted to do, um, well, I, I have done this activity that I'm going to describe to you, but I've always wanted to do this with the specific intent of having a writing sabbatical, but there are uh, wilderness cabins all over the state of Michigan that mm. are, um, like, maintained by the state and the um, DNR. So you can rent these cabins for like 60 bucks a day and they'll give you firewood and stuff for them and it's just like you like the nice. one there's there's like a dozen of them in uh Waterloo recreation area which is just west of Ann Arbor um and that is the cabin that I have actually taken before like actually we got like 5 days of the cabin or whatever and there's bunk beds and stuff and a wood stove and like some small kitchen implements but there's no electricity in it or anything like that oh nice and um like that would be just a perfect location to literally like to unplug you know 
But the problem with that is if you're going to write on a computer like I do, yeah. you know, you got to have battery yeah. power or generator yeah. or something. Honestly, I can't see myself doing that. Right, but and it's got to be for a person who likes that. But, yeah, like, I, mean, I know you write out, you write your stuff longhand, so you might want to look into it, man. It's comfortable. Well, you know? Oh, yeah, well, that's song I'm changing up. Like, right now, uh, I'm writing the next Godin novel, mm-hmm. Godin the Gladiator Killer, and uh, my next... Floyd Imogene novel mm-hmm. so far called The Gold Star Turns Black. Those I'm fin- I started those longhand. I'm gonna finish those, but after that, I'm gonna write novels on the computer. Like I need to break that cycle because yeah. it's just too stressful having to like type it back up. And, it is. And, a, it's extra work. Yeah, I yeah. know. So I want to get yeah. rid of that. Like I still write poems and short stories longhand. Mm-hmm. And maybe that'll change, but I at least want to. Get rid of like writing novels longhand because it's yeah. such a pain in the ass. One, uh, so I picked up a Samsung tablet this year, um, and it came uh, with the little pen. Yeah. And you can actually write like in the Note app. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's great. No. So like any situation where I would have traditionally liked to write well, something like, longhand, well, like you, yeah. you do you like print your print when you uh, write longhand? Uh, or do cursive. I mix back and forth between oh, the two. I do cursive, and I don't know if like a computer program would like recognize. That. No, it's it's not like that. Like it, it's actually like you're just writing, like oh. as it, it's like a big open thing, open sheet with ledger lines, and you just write on it with the S yeah. pen, and it shows up as you're writing. It's nice. not interpreting your handwriting nice. and converting it to text. It's just. A big old PDF of your writing. Very nice. Yeah, it's it's cool, man. I, I like it. I mean, the last time I tried to do something, like I guess cheat my way, you could say, was mm-hmm. uh, when I was when I was writing a Gray Wolf of Chicago. There, mm-hmm. uh, I learned that my computer has like the voice recognition program where you just speak <laughs> into it. Yeah. Holy shit! Uh, so basically, I read the entire no- novel into the Microsoft Word document. Mm-hmm. And I already noticed immediately, like, there are some things, like, it wouldn't catch, or, like, it was a completely different word. And it doesn't punctuate things properly. Yeah, the, yeah. so I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll just go in and fix all that. Mm-hmm. Then when I got it, finally when it ended, I uh, went in there, I tried to fix all that. <sighs> yep. Did not work at mess. all. <laughs> it was just a complete fucking mess. I dropped it, I'm like, ah! Yeah, that tech's not there yet, man. I know, uh, plus, my accent and everything probably fucked it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but, some of them will learn that over time. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, I must have, like, hit the learn function, like, five times or so. Yeah. And, like, speak into it as, like, we have learned this, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was, like, my first attempt at, like, trying to cheat my way, I guess. Mm-hmm. You can't it, cheat, man. You can't rush it. Where's a will, there's a way. Yeah. But yeah, so anyway, for Christmas, uh, so didn't podcast, didn't write. My brother and I checked out the 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 reincarnated two bit operation, which two bit operation is a famous arcade that was in Alpena. Okay. Throughout like I think the seventies, eighties, and nineties, but that shut down. Mm-hmm. Like I remember it going there, shutting down, and shutting down in a local mall. Mm-hmm. But uh, oh. The, lo- the local guy, the local comic book artist who in my town runs a thing called Bob's Bullpen. Okay. Which is basically a com. He has like four businesses now. 
has the comic shop, has the bullpen, which is like a hot dog snack shop. He has this little mini theater where he does like indie movies and like oh. comic book movies and that. And now he has two bit operations, so he's got like four businesses. Nice dude. This one building. Yeah, he's sounds not, like a cool dude. Yeah, he's yeah he's a great dude. I want to talk to him sometime. Yeah. But we went there and uh, we enjoyed like the new setup. Like a lot of arcades these days, there's like two types. Mm-hmm. There's like the arcade brew pub that you see, like yeah. like here. I forget what it is. It's cross. It's near the um, downtown here. Yeah, LFG. Yeah. There's LFG or like Stella's and Grand yeah. Rapids, where it's like, you know, you just use regular coins or quarters. Pyramid scheme. Oh yeah. With all the pinball. Yeah. 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 Or like this, or like new two bit operation, or like the coin slot in Traverse City. Yeah. You actually uh, pay them for like a certain amount of time, like ten dollars for thirty minutes. Yeah. And then you could go play at any game, as many games yeah, as you want. Free play. Yeah. Yep. There's other. There's um. Uh, a place called Classic Arcade in Goebbels that's set oh, up. Oh, I've like heard that. about that actually. And since I like moved, since I first moved here, I've heard about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and then there's another one. Um, the, the, this is a little different. It's Star World Amusement, which is downtown, and that's been like that's the place in Kalamazoo where you go to buy dart boards and pool tables and mm-hmm. arcade machines. But they have. Oh. All of their arcade machines on free play, so you can go uh, in there and play. You know that you could buy like arcade machines at like Walmart now. No, <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. Like, and they're all classic stuff, like you know Galaga and mm-hmm. like the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game. Mm-hmm. Not Turtles in Time, the very first one. Right. Yeah, they're like five hundred dollar machines that you can, like buy a box and then you set up at your home. Oh, that's cool, man. I don't know. I like r- retro gamer kid in me really likes that. But also, like, disgruntled anti-Walmart uh, hipster Zach is also like, Well, eh. I think there's our, yeah. pl- oh, I've seen at Walmart, I'm sure there's other places that sell it too. Yeah, well, like, it's more, it's not necessarily about Walmart, it's more about, like, the cash-in on nostalgia. Oh, yeah. Lately, like, you know, as a, as a person who appreciates, arc, uh, like, being an archivist and, like, um, appreciating... Uh, retro media in its intended form, like part of me, like it's a it's a recreation. You know, it's not an original Galaga cabinet. It's a it, yeah, it's a but, small little computer yeah, that yeah, displays but, Galaga. Yeah, but know? how many times have you played Galaga outside the arcade machine, like through ports on systems? Oh, yeah, or, like Atari and stuff. Yeah, not yeah, often. or yeah. or just look, or you know, on your computer, just like look up Galaga free online. That you can just play. Yeah, I don't do that. <laughs> I don't. Okay. But centipede though. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Centipede. Yeah. <laughs> Centipede's my. I draw the line at Galaga, but centipede. Yeah. I played centipede on so many different formats, dude. I like that game. It's a good game. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. So that that's the way two bit is. It's small now, and knowing a uh, guy who runs it. Who's also named Bobby? Go figure, Bobby. Uh, yeah, he will definitely expand it along with his other operations, Good. which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Then uh, the rest of the week, on um, let's see, uh, got drunk a lot. Like I was mostly drunk the majority of the time I was there, which is good because I kind of need to do that to put up with my family to some extent. Mm-hmm. It was pretty peaceful for the most part. It's good. And uh, I I wrote I wrote like a. 
post when I got into town, when I was actually going to the local liquor store, when I got into town to, like, load up, I'm like, oh, joy, yet another Christmas in Alpinas. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm going to say, okay, boomer, at least once here. Most likely either about, like, the impeachment proceedings or someone talking shit about Greta Thunberg. And I'll probably be drunk while doing it. Yeah, it didn't happen, which really surprised me. That is always a surprise when you go into something thinking that you're going to have to argue with a bunch of people. Yeah, like I said, nothing about Greta, because a few things on climate change, the whole, like, well, back in my day like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, on that note, I'm currently not talking to my uh, cousin, Grady. If you may not, for, for devoted fans of mine, you may know him as uh, the guy whose uh, creation is on the cover of Animaki. I bought the rights to that picture. Hmm. Yeah, um, he's like a right-wing libertarian type. Mm-hmm. And uh, he apparently hates Greta and kind of like, Pretty much the same right-wing talking points, like, oh, she's dumb, she's a puppet, blah, blah, blah. She's out to out for herself. Which contradicts it. It's like, wait, how could she be dumb but then be, like, this big media master? Yeah. I think people just get upset because they're not on TV in high school. <laughs> Basically, it's teenage girl bad. Yeah. So, anyway, I did. She, he did one of those posts, and I'm like, I comment, you really believe this right-wing garbage? Mm. <laughs> he got very angry about that. Did the whole, you know, a lot of the centrist um, critiques, like, you are you don't care about right or left. You care about only what's right about you. So, yeah, we're not talking at the moment. <laughs> Fucking dumbass libertarian. But, mm. but anyway, so... Uh, yeah, when it came to the impeachment proceedings, because they, of course, talked about it on television, sure. my dad, oh boy, much to my surprise, he is not raging out. Because hmm. as much of a Trump guy that he is, I think he knows in his heart, if you want to go that way, is that shit's fucked up and that Trump's a fucked up guy. Yeah. But he doesn't want to admit it, basically because he was raised to be a Republican. And uh, he just can't come out and, like, say, hey, it's fucked up. Mm-hmm. So whenever he's watching, he's like, God, you know, all the stuff they're doing right now, they could be helping the American people. Which is true to some extent. Yeah. But then again, that's a thing you could say about anything you don't like. Like, you know, yeah. they're wasting time on this where you could waste time, where you could do this. It's just whataboutism. Yeah. And it evolved. It's kind of like what I bitched about in the past in regards to, like, gay marriage. Mm-hmm. People would say, like, you care about gay marriage, but what about queer homelessness? <laughs> Where, well, the thing, too, is that a lot of these things with whataboutism, mm-hmm. especially on the left, is, like, some of them are, are problems that are just so ingrained and longstanding that mm-hmm. you just focusing on it as opposed to this is not going to solve it. Right. It'll take... Years, if not decades, to fix. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think my dad knows it's fucked up, but he just can't say, like... He just can't say, like, yeah, impeach him. And he kind of knows how I feel about it, you know, being the extreme leftist that I am. Mm-hmm. That I will probably argue with you about it. <laughs> so he doesn't want to get into an argument. Not because, you know, he doesn't think he can hold his own, but he wants to keep the peace. 
Which I, which, which I am too. I'm just not going to talk about it. Yeah. You know, Matt. So the, this is kind of so top so, topical yes. on this. Yeah. So basically, yeah. I didn't okay boomer him on that, yeah. <laughs> but I did almost on their subject. We'll get to that. Yeah. Anyway, you're saying. Uh, yeah, this impeachment proceeding thing. Uh, when I was just on my bathroom adventure uh, a few <laughs> minutes ago, um, I was thumbing through the news feed on the phone and. There's a, a an article that had just been released or whatever, and it's Lindsey Graham calling for the impeachment trial. God, and I'm just, I just thought to myself, I'm like, we're literally in a fucking standoff with Iran right now, fucking bombing each other's shit in Iraq, and you want to fucking worry about this? Obviously, like, all right, all right dude. Yeah. Yeah, first of all, Lindsey Graham is just such a fucking bootlicker. Like, him and Mitch McConnell <laughs> and Nancy Pelosi, I just cannot believe some days. But, and, uh, but when it comes to, like, this, uh, I am, I do think that as humans we're capable of juggling many tasks and subjects. Mm-hmm. So even with the prospect of World War Three going on, I'm not going to use that as, like, excuse like dump on the impeachment proceedings either yeah not, not that you're doing that no no I'm no I, what i'm saying is like it's it, it, to me when i read it it just seemed like def, a deflection yeah you know oh yeah there's a lot of deflections going yeah. on that's kind of what whataboutism is about it's just mm-hmm. deflect away from the issue by claiming this issue it, and that's exactly what i meant like well what about this impeachment that was so important two weeks ago it, yeah. it's one of those things that i really try to be mindful about not to engage in i probably do at times but mm, it's hard not uh, to man. Uh, at least I especially if you have to. pet issues you know yeah. like me talking about great lakes water rights yeah or yeah. well we talked about this too uh Remember those wonderful candy canes in Bronson Park that everyone was talking <laughs> yeah. about? Yeah, um, to, to go back to a previous conversation, uh, activist Chris Wamoff was very angry that people were uh, up in arms about this. He's like, all this homelessness and this and that going on, but you're pissed about candy canes? Cowan Zoo has the morals of dog shit. Which I'm like, I kind of agree with you, but again, you know... You not concentrating on candy canes isn't going to solve the homelessness problem. Here. No, no. So there are many, many problems. I, there are many, many causes for the homeless situation in Kalamazoo. Oh yeah, it's yeah. awful here. Like, yeah, it, yeah. You guys in Lansing are like in neck yeah. to neck to the bottom, race to yeah. the bottom. There, there's like historical reasons that Kalamazoo has all those homeless people too. It's yeah. and and the specific type of homeless people that we have as well. Oh god! If only Andy Argo was here. Right yeah, now. he's he good was, with all this. Yeah, he, he, knows. he 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 shall Argo shall return. <laughs> good, but um, good. okay. So to get to the one to part where I like almost did do an okay boomer was uh, <sighs> both my dad and uh, my uncle, Uncle Cop, Ugh. which I well here's the thing: he's a retired cop from Lansing. Mm-hmm. And uh, much to my surprise, he isn't like an, a Blue Lives Matter type guy either. Hmm. Or if he is, he's not like advertising. It. He's not yeah. like old cops are a different story, man. Because they, oh yeah, my, they didn't get subjected to that. Yeah, crap. like I don't know. I I love my uncle, obviously, mm. about as much as I can. I see him like maybe twice a year or something. 
But I guess the whole him being a cop, him previously being a cop, and that kind of does get in my way there, makes him t- makes me a tad bit wary. Mm. But, I don't know, it's something that, that is very conflicting for me. You can't I, really trust someone who's going to put on a uniform and tell other people how to live their lives for a profession. True, but yeah. this is also a guy that I've known all my life and yeah. generally had a good relationship with. Exactly. And that's been a source of contention with certain shitheads here in Kalamazoo with me. One of them actually claiming I was an undercover cop because I... Uh, talked about just what I'm talking to you about, like this struggle I have relating to an uncle who's a cop. Mm. Yeah, they kind of turn it around and be like, oh, Gary's an undercover cop. He's giving information to his uncle. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, because a retired cop from Lansing really cares what a bunch of fucking 20-something drugged-out losers do, <laughs> yeah, do on a Friday night. <laughs> anyway, both... So they're so we're talking about like stuff about like how's life in Grand Rapids and that. And I was like, yeah, I'm still living in the same place. Been there for seven years too. So, yeah, the place I'm living at in Heritage Hill and my mm-hmm. job, both the longest places I've ever stayed at and employed at. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about places to live and that. And uh, well, basically, my dad and uncle both said some uh, pretty racist stuff. Oh God, mostly about like. Yeah, you don't want to move into that neighborhood because blah, blah, blah. You want to live in this neighborhood instead. Which my whole thing was like, first of all, I was like, don't say okay, boomer. Don't say okay, boomer. <laughs> and the other thing was like, well, uh, Uncle Cop, uh, I can afford to live in these neighborhoods that you don't want me to move to. I can't afford to live in these nice white neighborhoods that are hundreds of miles from the city. Mm-hmm. Not that I would want to even live that far. Yeah. And then it was kind of like, yeah, I kind of see see what you're talking about. Yeah. I had to okay boomer a guy the other day. It's like, we're all just sitting, having a conversation, just and the guy just interjects with this, like, weird story from the 70s about how... Back like, in my day. Yeah, well, dude, it, it was the weirdest thing. He was talking about being at a business luncheon, and, like, he was trying to describe to, um, like some Japanese businessmen what Ebonics was. <laughs> and then so they fucking called over the only black busboy to, like, Ooh. speak Ebonics. And, like, all of a sudden I just saw this going super, super south. And everybody, like, it's a bunch of people in their 20s and early 30s that he's oh. telling this story to. And you can just see everybody's butthole tightening. Like, everyone's just like, ugh. Uh, uh I'm very uncomfortable stop, right now. Stop. And he and then then he just dumps on us. Well, of course, back then it was a different time, and I and not, I just couldn't so, do. Not so PC yeah. now. I oh. was just like, uh, okay, boomer, and everybody just is like, <sighs> and he's like, Fuck he you just say me. He no, he you know this is a guy I respect, you know, and he respects me too. Like we're friends. Like I think he kind of realized that he had just crossed a line with with his audience and like you know that shit ain't gonna fly with a bunch of 30 year olds like you can joke yeah. about that on the golf course dude but like racist humor not gonna fly with a group of artists and so he like went outside and fucking walked around the parking lot a couple of times and like huffed and puffed about it and it's like dude fucking snowflake like, millennials yeah man uh I, I i understand why you feel that way but honestly like this is how we we 
as like a generation or whatever have decided to combat that shit because we see that it's wrong like you can't just because it was okay for you to talk like that in 1975 doesn't make it okay for you to tell the story well, wistfully well yeah you know? that's the thing he's basically bragging about being racist yeah and exactly put, and putting a black dude in a very awkward Mm-hmm. Position and othering him, and yeah, yeah, all and, all the things you know, uh, and it's just it's distasteful. It's not even like the guy was being offensive. He wasn't, you know, he he wasn't using racist terminology. Like he was trying to be sensitive to all of those types of things, yeah. but he wasn't realizing that what he was saying overall was just contributing to like legitimizing the past of racist behavior on the part of like. What were thirty-year-old yeah, white businessmen at the yeah, time? Yeah, but he just uh, went around the parking lot and like blew off steam, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he didn't, didn't do, argue yeah, with us. He didn't call us yeah. snowflakes. No, nothing like or, that. Or like no. you know, uh, you're the real racist for calling me racist. Yeah, no. It it like he could see himself digging a hole. Like you watch this guy's like facial expressions like deteriorate into this like oh I just fucked up with my friends type thing. And so I think he like went to go walk off the shame. Yeah. <laughs> is kind of what it was like. Yeah. And I don't like I don't like making feet people feel marginalized and upset anyway. And that's what makes those types of situations so difficult to manage because it's like I feel for this guy, and I really don't think that he meant anything well, bad. By well, what he well, was yeah, saying. it's the same thing with like, well, somewhat kind of like with my uncle and my dad. Mm-hmm. It's like they think they're giving good advice, but it's like, yeah, dude, this yeah, is infuriating. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, telling me not to live next to black people is not helping my helping my housing options. Yeah, dad. dude. But uh, yeah, the only time like I've ever said "Okay, Boomer" was twice to my mom over the phone. Mm-hmm. She got mad each time. <laughs> I forget what the first one was, but uh, the second one. I, which, and I will humble brag here, mm-hmm. I have a lover. <laughs> friends, oh. with be- friends with benefits. Uh, we've been seeing each- Yeah, you see, we see each- She's actually here in Kalamazoo. Okay. I'll show you the picture later. But, uh, yeah, we see each other, like, once a month. Mm-hmm. Like, we would like to see each other more by our different schedules and all that sure. shit. And, uh, I was telling her, like, yeah, she's coming to Grand Rapids tonight. You know, we're going to hang out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to go out? I'm like, no, nah, we're just going to stay in my place. Netflix and chill. Mm-hmm. Which, she doesn't know what Netflix and chill right, is. Right, there's like, like, societal implications yeah. to that. Yeah, so my mom's like, wait, so she's just going to your house all alone? I'm like, oh yeah, I invited her. She's like, well, I don't know if that's a good idea. I'm like, how we've done this before. <laughs> well, you know, when I was your age, you know, if a boy invited me over, it'd be very suspect of what he was going to do. Oh, uh, that's and, the point, Boomer. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, and she, so she's kind of, like, going off on this about how, like, uh, she's like, I'm not saying you're going to do anything, but you got to realize what it looks like. I'm like, okay, Boomer. <laughs> she's like, First of all, don't call me a fucking boomer. And second, okay, I'm, boomer. Se- and second, I know that your generation's different with all the online dating. And okay, the boomer. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah, my mom's actually used to that now, but she was really wary about me meeting people online yeah. at first. She actually got really mad at me one time back when good old Craigslist Casual Encounters was still around, and mm-hmm. I was talking about how I met, met had a date with a girl in Chicago. When I was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So she's like, 
Gary, how could you do that? It's not safe. I'm like, <laughs> I acknowledge there is a danger here, but I am a 6'2", 250-pound guy. Yeah. And I actually do take precautions. So, but what I'm saying is that, yeah, it's my privilege that the chances of me getting fucked up are not very high compared to other people. Mm-hmm. Specifically women. Yeah. So, yeah, I do acknowledge that, but still, it's this generation... Okay, fucking boomer. Yeah, dude. Like, I mean, the, the entire like timeline of my activities is publicly available, dating back to like two thousand seven. Right, like you can go on online and see a timeline of my life events on a number of platforms. Like people know, people can know who I am, like who, oh, yeah. who each other is. Oh yeah, you know? I, I would, I would dare say that despite being like. Z lister artists, we're technically public figures. We kind of made ourselves out. Yeah, we made ourselves yeah. out to be. Yeah, definitely. Especially yeah. with the way we advertise ourselves and all mm-hmm. that shit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anyone could look me up if they really want to. I've I've actually talked to her about my books. Like when I was through the process of publishing my latest book, mm-hmm. Golden and Blood Harmony, available on Lulu, Amazon, Smashwords, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. I've actually like. Talked to her and showed her pictures and that. She's like, oh my god, that's so cool. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. So she supports me to some extent. There you go. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, uh, so yeah, was, uh, okay, back to Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, nearly okay boomered some racist <laughs> relatives. But then the rest of the week I sat around and watched shitty History Channel, Discovery Channel shit. Which is basically like, here's a guy in Alaska. He lives in a cabin. Here is how he is surviving. <laughs> they got so many of those fucking shows. They do. God. And uh, I I got some books for Christmas. And mm-hmm. one that I read through entirely was uh, Gil Valley. I think that's how you say his name. Gil Valley. He's the famous cannibal cop from New York. I read his memoir, Raw Deal. Basically, Gil is this dude who uh, had like a fetish for like kidnapping and cannibalizing and can it's this weird dark sexual fetish hmm. he never acted on it it was all like stuck to like internet forums and like writing stories and shit huh. and uh his wife discovered this stuff on his computer and she thought he was planning to kidnap and eat her with other people oh man <laughs> there's a big trial about it and Whew. he's free now and he's like become a writer like, he wrote this memoir and, like, a book of extreme horror stories that I got to get. Hmm. And, like I say, he used to be a former cop, too, from New York, who was into cannibalism. Wow. <laughs> Think about that. So, yeah, I read through the book, and it was okay. Like, all memoirs, I kind of, like, question. Because, like, most of it, the whole memoir is like, I am innocent. Which, like, y- yeah, you are, but... Shouting it constantly really isn't convincing me, OJ. <laughs> well, I'm not saying not saying Gil's like OJ either, which oh. I read OJ's, you know, If I Did It. It's fucking Did garbage. Did you read it? Yeah, it's fucking oh. garbage. <laughs> he is such a piece of shit. It's so obvious. Yeah. But, I guess, but yeah. Um, so I, I read through all that while I was there. And I watched movies like... I tried desperately to watch the house that Jack built, this 
European horror movie star Matt Dillon, which got critical acclaim last year. Hmm. Can't find it anywhere for like to rent or stream. You can buy it for like fifteen bucks off Amazon Prime Digital. Hmm. So, but I did get to watch Midsummer and Three from Hell. Midsummer was excellent. Three from Hell was just another Rob Zombie flick. I watched the new Star Wars movie. Oh, how was that? I enjoyed it. I like I, up, after having seen it. Like I went and saw some <clears throat> possible spoilers reviews. Oh no, I'm not going to spoil anything. Oh. No, I'm just saying the uh, reviews are like mixed, and a lot of people have like super strong opinions yeah. on where the franchise is going. Blah 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 blah. But like. I I purchased a ticket to be entertained, and I was successfully entertained by the yeah, movie. Yeah, I'm, pro- I'm probably going to see it sometime this week. Like, yeah. I was thinking this weekend, but I was too busy writing and doing shit like shutting off my housemate's alarm <laughs> They introduce another character who's, and I'm going to try to be spoiler-free here. Well, you might as well. Yeah. I just I, put the spoiler alert. Right, right. So right. if you if you keep listening, you know, don't, don't comment that I spoil it for you. You... You, dear listener, ruin it for yourself. Okay, potential spoiler alert for the new Star Wars movie that's been out for weeks. Um, uh, there is a new character named Babu Frick, who is a droid hacker. Bob, Babu Frick. Babu Frick. God, these fucking names. He has two scenes, and he's a little puppet. He's, like, the size of an arm. And basically all he does is go, Ah! Hey! <laughs> and uh, annoying character. No, dude, he is... My favorite Star Wars character, period. Now, Babu Frick, he's the best. He's my the, guy. The, the new Star Wars, <laughs> the new Star Wars, the next three Star Wars films. The main character will be Amanda Love, <laughs> Jedi Master <laughs> Amanda Love. Amanda Love. Uh, IP freely. <laughs> oh God! Just, just, just look. George Lucas just look up like a compilation of Bart's prank calls on YouTube for me. Fifteen B Dragon. <laughs> Yeah, uh, two things is that two things I've heard about the movie so far is that my coworker Chad absolutely hated it, particularly the scene where like I don't know the Sith Lord or whatever his name is, mm-hmm. he like brings down a ship from space with like Force Lightning, and like he he <laughs> yeah. got the spirits of like all past dead Jedi's. He just yells unlimited power. <laughs> and he just brings it down. Yeah, and, and I saw the gif where like Ray and emo guy team up, which mm. even I saw that coming from a trillion miles. Kylo away. Ren. Yeah, where like yeah. his big pickup line was like, "Yeah, you are worthless, but not to me." Which I'm like, "Wow, there you go. Yeah. That's how you pick up chicks." There's, there's been a little bit of controversy. That guy's name is Adam Driver, the the yeah. actor that plays yeah. him, and um. Like, he walked out of an NPR interview really? a couple of weeks ago, and, um, like, I actually watched a TED Talk of his yesterday, because he was in in the Marines, and then really? left the Marines and became an actor, um, and he's got some interesting perspectives on a lot of stuff. The fairly smart-seeming guy, insightful... But also like easily triggered, I guess, and kind of like his character, Kylo. Kind of, kind of yeah, kind of. 
But I I don't know the guy the guy seems uh, pretty in tune with the like art of acting, and seems like an interesting guy. Wait, I don't so know why did he walk off? Um, he doesn't like to listen to or watch the final product of his acting. Oh, okay. So what they had been what they had asked him to do was to remove his headphones while they played clips and he I mean I I didn't read any follow up on it. I just remember that he walked out of the interview, didn't raise a scene, didn't make a stink, just left because he didn't want to basically be made uncomfortable and you know, take your fucking headphones off. Dude. It, what you know that that is an easy way to look at the situation, and I agree with that certainly. But also, you know, sometimes, dude, shit makes me shit that's like seemingly normal. Like for me, dude, I'll tell you this: this is like a little personal Zach Elmblad insight. Ooh, here the, we go. The sound of chewing, chew like chewing food, something that every person on earth has to do, will throw me into a fit of fucking rage. So deep that it can seriously knock me out for days, um, Ooh, uh, and, and like sitting around dinner tables is a anxiety ridden situation of me gritting my teeth and literally like, just like, like regular chewing, chewing. Not, just chewing, not just like obnoxious shit. No, just even rah, people rah. politely chewing with their mouth closed, I it's like I can hear like if I go to a movie theater. I will hear people chewing popcorn before I hear the movie. Like, even if it's at loud, like explosions going off, I can still just hear people chewing. It's like so, a thing with my brain where if I hear people chewing, I can't hear anything else, and it's like an ice pick being forced through the back of my fucking eyeballs. It's bad. Well, yeah. um, well, <laughs> before we start this podcast, I was talking about stuff I wanted to do this year. One mm-hmm. of it was a... Uh, photo shoot mm-hmm. i offered to buy you lunch after that <laughs> no it's okay. is that, like, is that, I can, is that a bad idea though no it's not a bad idea like i've learned like ways to deal with this and it's only when i like if i'm in like an not an emotional state but like a um like if i'm hyped up or or something like an excited yeah. state then it, it it has a tendency to amplify but if there's like ambient noise that I can try to focus on, like a TV in the background uh, or like casual conversation in the in the distance, like some type of white noise okay. usually I can... Okay, I, can I actually will be more conscious now because <laughs> knowing me, like, I'll be really happy after the way it went. We'll go like Bilbo's or something. Suggestion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wink, wink. <laughs> and I'll be so excited there, like, drinking and eating. <laughs> Great time today, Zach. <laughs> Oh, those are great. I, you know, I understand that it's a completely ridiculous thing to get upset about, <laughs> but this is like the, it's it's that it's seeing that in me that allows me to kind of sympathize with situations like that. Like for me, if it's really bothering me, ninety nine times out of a hundred, it's best for me to just go to the bathroom, go to another room, kind of chill out, get my bearings about me, and then uh, maybe can, go back to the situation. Uh, I can know? kind of relate. Like, yeah. the one thing that's always, like, gotten to me for some reason, God, so stupid, mm-hmm. is uh, bubblegum wrappers. Okay. L- not, like, the paper kind either, but, like, the silver kind that... Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but every t- but whenever I would see it, like, like let's say, like, an ashtray or, like, a cup holder, it would just bother me. Hmm. Just like make me cringe. 
Hmm. I have no idea why it's, it's always been like this, too. Like, it's gotten better over the years, like, a lot of things, but mm-hmm. when I see it, it's just like... Yeah, dude, that's that's exactly what I'm talking no. about. Like, it's not irrational because it, you know, because it offends you, but also you can understand that, like, people are well, like... Well, that's the thing, it, do- do you it doesn't... It does, chew? Like, like I said, it doesn't offend me. I don't get angry about it, it just creeps me out, makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't know why. Mm. But it's kind of like when I hear other people, like... I forget the phobia, but it's like whenever they see like a bunch of like tiny holes in things, like let's say a wasp nest or something, they mm-hmm. get f- freaked out about it. Hmm. Hold on, interesting. Let me look this shit up. Yeah, hole. F- Google <laughs> hole phobia. Here we go. Yeah. Ding ding. Triphobia. Yeah. Is the aversion to the sight of irregular patterns or clusters of small holes or bumps? Weird. Huh. And, like, people, like, put up fake images online, like, here's my hand, like, rotting. And, like, show someone, like, Photoshop, like, a wasp nest on his hand. Huh. Yeah, like, shit like that. Weird. That's weird. Yeah, or or that, that's another one. Ugh, that is kind of creepy looking, though. Yeah, I know, but they just put, like, this, I think, was, like, I don't know, some pods for, like, larva or something? Hmm. But, yeah, so, I, it's not as bad as those where it's, like, uh, Right. But it's just, I don't know, it sends a chill down my spine and it annoys me. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah. Anyway, back to Christmas. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty much what I did for Christmas, you know, drank... Red, watch movies, didn't say okay, boomer. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good Christmas. Yeah, I, that sounds like a standard American 30 something year old man's Christmas. Like, yeah. sit around your family that you like and, and love and have reasons to, like, be close to, but also, like, you're not like them at all and, like, don't yeah, see them yeah, all that, the time. Yeah. yeah, every time I return to Alpino, whether small or big, there's always something that. Some sign that tells me, yeah, yeah, you don't belong here. Yeah. Some most of the time it's small. Sometimes like a big thing, like a argument with someone or something. Yeah, my hometown is Grand Rapids, and that's how I feel every time I go to that city that I don't belong there. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, how so with you? I don't know. It's just weird, man. I just every time I'm in Grand Rapids, I just feel like I don't belong. Like. You know, people, like, it's just weird. You don't get listened to and, like, people shove you out of the way or, or don't don't acknowledge you or, like, just feel weird, you know? I feel like I'm trying to, like, people are trying to run me off the road and stuff all the time. Like, I just, I'm not in sync with the brainwave of that city. Yeah, you know? I've, I actually kind of went through a period after I moved to Grand Rapids here with Kalamazoo. Mm-hmm. But then again, that was more so personal with some of my relationships that kind of went to shit mm-hmm. before I moved. I have great relationships with people up in Grand Rapids. I have a lot of friends up there. I have a lot of uh, well, like, I've told you investments uh, up uh, there too. Oh uh, well, we don't have to rehash that because <laughs> I told you many of them. Actually, yeah, yeah. Some of it with people that you too do not like. Yep. <sighs> but uh, yeah. So yeah, actually, let's. Do a, I say we should do a little 
Decade in review. Decade in review. Wow. Yeah, sure. Well, okay. Yeah. How was, how, overall, how was twenty ten for the twenty tens for you? Well, the twenty tens for me were like so far a period of peak success. I mean, I published my first book in two thousand nine. So basically, I you know I wrote wrote and published four more in in those years. I went back to school. And like, legitimized this like fantasy career of mine, and and that type of thing. Like, started my business in two thousand ten or two thousand eight. I don't remember back then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, it it started out as an idea on paper, like literally assembled on guest checks from the like restaurant that I was working at, like. You know, the, all of those ideas I was brainstorming while I was, like, mopping puke up off the bathroom floor at the end of the night. And, um, like, so, I mean, for me, it's just been, like, a, a huge transformational decade. I mean, I entered the decade as a 25-year-old man and, and exited it as a 34-year-old man. Um, well, I guess I would have been 24 for a month and a half. In 2010, yeah. but... Yeah I, yeah, I was 22, now mm. I'm 32. Yeah, I mean, and that's just a, a generally a, a period of, like, personal progress and, like, figuring out your place in the world and, like... Man, I went on so many fucking adventures in the last 10 years, dude. I can't tell you how many cool-ass trips I've been on. Like, cross-country road trips and, like... I mean, I went to, like, several other countries... In the last 10 years, uh, I went to South America twice, I went to Europe once, I went to, like, probably 30 of the U.S. states in the last 10 years, um, I put 200,000 miles on my truck, um, yeah, I did a bunch, I, I had a great 10 years, man, I mean, there, there's all sorts of, like, you know, bad or sad things that happen. You know, I went to a lot of funerals, um, you know, had really big problems with, like, depression and alcoholism and all that kind of stuff. And um, But, like, I would say the good outweighs the bad totally. I had a really good 10 years. Privileged to have had the last 10 years that I had. Yeah. All right. Let's see about my ten years. I remember. Uh, <laughs> oh, I played a lot of music too. I should. I should not. Oh, yeah, neglect yeah, to mention that. Yeah, let's that. not forget yeah. that. Yep. Nah, that's not a big deal. <laughs> it's one of the more like prevalent things in my life. I yeah. always forget to talk yeah, about. Yeah, who it. cares about that? <laughs> but anyway, uh, I actually remember New Year's Eve two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. I brought in the new decade at the Strut. Okay. My, my all time favorite venue here. in Kalamazoo was totally hammered and just like Stella's and Pyramid Scheme this year, you know, Mm -hmm. rang in the new decade. Yeah. I don't know what I did New Year's 2009. I honestly don't remember. Yeah. Let's see. Um, I uh, graduated from Western Michigan University with Mm -hmm. a bachelor's in arts, general education degree in uh, 2011. And, uh, and when I lived here, I, uh, lived in about, uh, four places total, you know, Elwood Apartments on the MU campus, who to my very own 
shitty Michigan basement apartment <laughs> in the Vine neighborhood. It's still there, too. It's on the corner of Pearl and Lovell. Second house to the left of that. And uh, lived in a uh, co-op house here called Fletcher Collective. Then finally, lived at a house venue called the Black Lodge mm-hmm. with our uh, dear friend and previous guest, Andy Argo. Mm-hmm. And then finally, uh, 2013, I moved to Grand Rapids. And uh, at the same job and same place I've lived since then, which as I mentioned previously, are like the two longest longest place I've worked and the longest mm-hmm. house I've ever lived in. And uh, in that time, writing-wise... Uh, was a journalist. Most money I've ever made off my writing was still being a journalist for the Western Herald. Mm-hmm. Uh, got out of journalism because I couldn't find a job after I graduated, and I just became so fucking sick of it. Yeah. That I just gave up on it. And that time, let's see, uh, I released three ebooks, three poetry ebooks. I've released, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four. Five five novels, mm-hmm. one short story collection, Hup Jammery Stories, through you, yeah. Media Group, and uh, released one EP live in Chicago, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, pretty much for uh, writing-wise, that's been my big accomplishments this decade. Mm-hmm. Recently in the 2000s, I uh, released... I only had one one published thing, and that was my chapbook, Blind Grave Robber. Mm-hmm. I did technically release another one called Agnostic Eggs, but this was, like, right before I was about to move to Kalamazoo in 2009. Mm-hmm. And uh, back in the day, I would, like, print this stuff off at my grandma's because she had a copy machine there for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't work, so I just became so frustrated that I just said, Fuck it, and I like never mass released it. Only made like three copies of it. Mm-hmm. You can get it all now in my free poetry ebook, Blind Grave Robber slash Agnostic Eggs. Mm-hmm. So it's still out there, folks. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, this this decade, well, my writing career has come into full bloom. You could say, you know, I published all this stuff. I've sold, sold, and made money off it. Not as much as I would like, but I have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and looks like 2020s are still going to be prolific to some extent. Yeah. Maybe even more. Like, I'm hoping to... The first leg of the Golden series, I forget how many books total that I have in mine, but I say I'm over halfway there already. Mm-hmm. So I'm anticipating by the time I'm 35 that I will finish up the first major part of the series. Okay. Like, I have continu- I have ideas for, like, continuation afterwards, along with, like, spin-off series of different Godins from different dimensions. Hmm. Like, one will be, like, a teenage Godin. One will be, like, a pulp Godin, as in pulp hero from, like, the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, cyberpunk Godin. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's going to pro- be prolific. It's going to be interesting to see how, how uh, prolific I'll be this decade because uh, when I first really started publishing was 2013. You know, with the with my first po- my first two poetry books, 
Blind Grave Robber, Agnostic Eggs, and Woten, mm-hmm. which came out of it because, uh, as I mentioned before on this podcast, I almost got Woten published through this fucking scam artist piece of shit mm-hmm. who run, named Andrew, who runs uh, West Vine Press. That didn't turn out, so I just self-published it myself. Mm-hmm. But that was in 20... Keep in mind, this is 2013, 2014 has happened. Mm-hmm. So, I'm still doing... I'm, I got a new book coming out this summer, so I'm already starting off this year with publishing, so... And I've... And I had my goal in mind since uh, Animaki came out in 2016 mm-hmm. to release at least one book a year. Mm-hmm. These past two years, I've released two books per year. Yeah. So I have not made that goal. <laughs> I know. So if I were to go by at least one book a year, you know, just ignore the fact that I'll probably publish more. Like go back to my two two golden books a year schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll release. I will at least release at least ten books this decade. Nice. Yeah, how's that for how's that for a bibliography motherfucker? Right? There you go. Getting some work. Yep, and uh, let's see. Um, Experiences wise, like I first became acquainted with Chicago in 2010, which I've been in love with since. I try to visit like once a month, Mm -hmm. mostly for like day trips or like overnight. Yeah. My schedule doesn't allow me for, like, really big weekends that much anymore, unless I have the days. And, uh, I went to my very, actually, even before Chicago, I went on my first, uh, trip out of the country by myself. Mm. That was to Toronto in 2010 for spring break. People go, like, Florida and Mexico for spring break. (laughs) You went further north. I go fucking Canada and Chicago for spring, spring breaks. And... And I've been to Toronto about three times so far this this past decade, mm-hmm. and uh, and went to travel a few other places outside the Midwest, like to Georgia and Tennessee, and those places in between there as we travel. Mm-hmm. And and of course, can't forget this past year I went on my very first overseas European trip to London. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, this, if I, so yeah, um, another thing is that I always compare, like, this past decade to the 2000s, because mm-hmm. the 2000s I thought was as, like, my most, uh, the most formative decade, because yeah. uh, that was when I was a teenager, you know, I went through junior high and high school, started college, moved out for the first time, but then Traverse City. But then I bombed out of Traverse City and had to move back for two years, which was oof. <laughs> and, uh, of course, politically, I grew up during the Bush administration, mm-hmm. which shapes my views even to this day. Sure. We'll, we'll get all around that. <laughs> but uh, I have to say, uh, I can confidently say this week, because all I've been thinking about is... That's all I've been thinking about is just nostalgia this entire week. Thinking mm-hmm. about this past decade, two thousands. Sure. I can say say pretty confidently that yeah, twenty uh, tens have shaped me more than the two thousands. Yeah, both, both through my own progress and living on my own, and well, the Trump era that we're now in. Yeah, but we'll get to that in a sec. <laughs> yeah, and it's also helps too is that uh. One of my favorite online personalities, Anthony Fantano, 
aka the needle drop, aka the best teeth in the game. He put out a... Uh, wait, you never heard of him? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Holy shit, I gotta show you. Alright. But uh, he's a... But he's the world's busiest... Self-proclaimed world's busiest music nerd. Okay. But uh, he put out a list about basically bashing the Billboard charts for uh, basically the best rock rock songs of the decade and best hip-hop R&B for the decade. Hmm. And the 2000s, like, I really identify with musically is thinking about, like, a lot of old pop-punk and emo bands back in the day. Okay. Good and bad. And this decade, I really lamented on, like, more like the hip-hop and R&B. Which, by the way, they still call it that because uh, they think, like, it's all black music, so let's put it all together in one. Yeah. Like, you don't hear them say, like, uh, let's put rock and metal in the same one because it's all white people music. <laughs> so anyway, I I really etch, I can't believe it. Nostalgia is already hitting me, but a lot of like the hits from two thousand from twenty ten, especially early, I'm actually relating to and liking more. Like, remember Macklemore? I do. Remember Thrift Shop? Yeah, I do. Or this is the moment. Yep. Yeah. I didn't outward hate those songs, but I'm actually feeling nostalgia listening to them now and liking it. God, was that ten years ago? Yeah, it was. Oh, wow. And also shit like uh, controversial here. Uh, Blurred Lines, Robin Thicke, remember him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really shitty song if you really think about it, but I've heard so much at clubs and dance and few dates I've been on that, yeah, I kind of like it. Even though it's got that rapey vibe to it. <laughs> and the one song that I still fucking hate, I will never like it. Because it was on the chart. Happy by Pharrell. Remember that piece uh, yes. of shit? Because uh, I'm happy. Dude, there was a... When I worked at the grocery store, there was a deli manager lady that fucking sang that song every day. I go in that bitch at 5 o'clock in the morning... Shoveling ice to fucking throw salmon on, and there's this woman Wait, filling sam- up salmon on. Yeah, I, w- I was a seafood oh, person, oh. so I'd have to like go in. My first task of the day was okay. to like shovel these cartfuls of ice out of an ice chipper, and then fill up the display case with with shaved ice, and then like lay out all the fish on it. Like that was basically my job for the first couple of years that I was there, and the deli. Island was like right across the the hall, like aisleway from the seafood department. So this woman would have to come from the back room past me to fill up like the uh, salad bar with items, and yeah. so she would always be singing that song. And I'm like, God, is there another song you can sing? Like, uh, yeah, but it's terrible. I guess I maybe show some growth and maturity on my part is that even songs like I didn't like back in the day like Mm -hmm. The Hills by The Weeknd Mm -hmm. which has this line like I'm just trying to get you out the friend zone it's like yeah I found it annoying and it's not a favorite song of mine but I don't hate it anymore Mm -hmm. but I still fucking hate Happy I will always hate (laughs) that song so yeah uh, I already told you I think 2010s were more Formative decade for me, growth-wise. All right. Then 2000s. Uh, how about you? Uh, 
What 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 decade did you prefer? I guess. Well, I mean, I preferred this past decade. <laughs> I think, like personally, for me, like my early twenties were really fucking hard, man. Hmm. Like in terms of personal growth, I would probably have to say the the latter half of the two thousands, like made me who I am for sure. So, it, like this this past decade, I was able to like solidify my convictions and like make my well I mean to use like a a stupid turn of phrase to make my dreams reality but like what caused me to have those dreams happened in the 2000s and like what made my character and what tested me and like what when I was given the opportunity the most to like prove what my values were I would have to say it was between 2006 and 2010. See, I, sure. see I've thought about that too. Like, what what decade created Garrett Schalke? Mm-hmm. And, uh, guy, I love talking third person. Yeah, it's way. fun. It's Garrett, fun. What did Garrett Schalke do? But, uh, I don't know. I just can't pinpoint a decade or even a year where, like, I became the me I am now. Yeah. Oh, or, or if yeah. there was, like, several points. 2006 was that year for me, unquestionably. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, I still think maybe closest to be the way I am now, maybe 2013, which was a, which is sad because that was a fucking awful year. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I was going to say one more thing about this. <laughs> oh, yeah, now I remember. Yeah, a, pro, a plug, actually. Uh, okay. Uh, well, one thing that has uh, helped me through this nostalgia trip is uh, a writer named John Conrath, who's an absurdist writer, mm-hmm. and he's also a bit among other things. And he has his own online journal on his website. And he did like his own retrospective of 2019, 2010s, and that. Mm-hmm. One thing I do like about him now I relate to him is that we both deal with nostalgia, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's bad. Like, bad to the point where, like, you get sad and yeah. if you want it to be like it used to be in some way. Yeah. It kind of, like, stunts everything you're doing, including your work. But, yeah, uh, check out John Conrad's work, his books, or his website, wrathofcon.com, rumor.com, <laughs> I think it's called. Or also rumor.com, I are one of those. Re- really great, really great diarist, too. I really have enjoyed really digging into his uh, online journal. I used to before, but now I'm, like, trying to, like, read at least, like, a year per day, you know, entries-wise. Yeah, I've been having fun with it. Hmm. All right. You just want to talk about, like, the final topic. Sure. And this one I have a lot of opinions on, because, to be honest, I have... This past, this past week, since the 2020s, I've mostly been focused on my writing, mm-hmm. especially since I had, had that extra day off, because yeah. uh, rather than make us pay holiday, pay us holiday pay, they, my, my day job gave us Friday off, <laughs> which on one hand is good, because I treasure my days off. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I really wanted that fucking money. Yep. <sighs> Economic geniuses. Yep, yep, yep. But, uh... If you haven't been paying attention to the news, um, I think we may be in World War III right now. <laughs> uh, that's an interesting way to 
think about it. You know, I we've been on a standoff with Iran for forty years. Oh yeah. So but that's just the big exaggeration of it. As yeah. I see it more, um it's basically we're starting off the new decade with a Republican president who is once again going to invade another Middle Eastern country. Just like yeah. another previous Republican president named uh, slash war criminal named George W. Bush, <laughs> who in the early 2000s after 9-11 got us into Afghanistan and Iraq, yes, both of which we're still in, by the way. Yes, we are. Uh, more so officially Afghanistan. That war's been going on for, I think, nearly 20 years now. Almost, yeah, 2001. Yep, and uh, basically, how have you been paying attention this week to it? I've been trying, man. I've been I've been trying more than I usually do um, to at least read headlines and, and go into a couple of articles. Like, I, I think I've expressed before my entire, like, distaste for political discourse since 2009. Um, Which, by the way, makes a great yeah. makes a great way to talk with you about this about yeah. these kind of topics. Probably, yeah. Well, it's hard. It's hard for I don't pay attention to it. I have so many things going on that are important in my selfish little fucking world, you know, that I don't really. I I, I definitely pick and choose what what news stories I pay attention to, and this one, I feel like this one's pretty important. Like, you know, we. And and another part of this is this is all happening in Iraq. Like we haven't even we haven't invaded Iran. Like we killed an Iranian gov uh, general oh, yeah. in Iraq. Yeah. And so all of these troops that are being sent from the U.S. as we speak are going to Iraq, Wait. not to Iran. Wait, I actually saw this when I stopped at. Uh, okay, yeah. Which I actually stopped at. Drake's Party Stores, <laughs> totally the sponsor of this podcast. Uh, you yeah. should talk to them and see if they'll sponsor your podcast and give you free smart water. Yeah, God damn it, where is it? <laughs> but uh, no, there's a story now that's saying that uh, the Iraqi parliament passed resolutions saying that uh, all U.S. troops, the ones that are coming in, and I was there previously, they got to leave the country. Oh, that's right, they're going to Kuwait. Not Iraq. Oh, really? Yeah. What? Which is? I, I'm pre, I'm pretty sure. Now, here's here's where the limitations of my geography knowledge are going to expose themselves. But I'm pretty sure that Kuwait is either between is like a a, a zone of land slash a country either between Saudi Arabia and Iraq or between Iraq and Iran. Uh, well. A few things, um, of course, the most reputable source called the Mirror. <laughs> the Daily Mirror. Yeah, um, apparently now, because keep in mind, this is World War Three possibly going on. Yeah. <laughs> so, constant news stories are coming out, and apparently Iran offers 80 million bounty for Donald Trump's head after death of general. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Like... Is that posturing, or, like, do you think that that is going to arise in, like, a realistic threat of um, uh, assassination, or, like, what, 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 what's your take on that? What's, what's the Garrett Schelke hot take on um, Iran officially sponsoring 
or uh, officially putting up bounty for uh, the oh. assassination of a United States head of state. Well, first of all, they've already uh, done stuff like this beforehand. I right, think the yeah. most famous one actually was a bounty, but a fatwa on Salman Rushdie. Okay, remember yep, him? I recall the this. Verses. Yep. Yep. So this stuff it isn't new to them, man. It wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me with the way that world works over there in the Middle East, especially with like mercenary groups and terrorist groups. Mm-hmm. If they do have like the classic bounty system you'll maybe see like in a movie. Right. So but huh. but to go after Trump, I honestly don't think that'll happen because no. uh, cause one, he's the president of the US, so it's too securely guarded. Mm-hmm. Unlike this general, he's not gonna be out there in the field. Yeah. Like trying to round up support with like militias he's not gonna do that yeah you're right as as i see it too with uh well two two things that really stuck out to me with the assassination one as they said um this is a high-ranking general Mm -hmm. like he was like the big i guess second to like the supreme leader of iran okay previously whenever we would take out someone it was a member or a leader of a terrorist group Basically, we're yeah. taking out, yeah, a terrorist, a stateless citizen, mm-hmm. that even if they claim, like, we're, we're receiving support from this country, because, as you know, countries from Iran to United States and Russia, we love supporting these groups. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, that's how we fight our wars now. We don't directly confront each other. We just do right. proxy shit. Yeah. But, and that's the thing, is that it was just, like, a random dude who, like, headed this group. This is an actual official that got taken out. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, shit. That was basically yeah. my reaction when I read the the article. Like, it, it was one of those things where I'm just, like, kind of mindlessly yeah, browsing but- the internet, right? And I saw either a notification on my tablet or... Just, like, Google will show, like, relevant news yeah. stories to your search criteria. And... I saw, like, Iranian general killed in U.S. bomb strike in Iraq, and I was like, wait, what? Like, it was, like, the most spit-take, like, political headline that I've read in the last ten years. I know. It was more more dramatic to me than Donald Trump elected president of the United States. I was just like, wait, what? What did we... Oh, dude, that's bad. I mean... I mean, he's the second most power. He's described as like the second most powerful person in Iran. Yeah. If you had to do like a comparison to the U.S., that would be like if Mike Pence got assassinated. Sure. I I, well, I, I don't mean, I don't know he's, how he's the vice yeah. president. So okay, I would think that makes him the second most powerful person in the U.S. Sure. I yeah. I guess you could so. Closest I can. Or make. you could say Senate Majority Leader or Secretary of State. I mean, yeah, you could yeah, make plenty yeah, of choices. Yeah, for yeah that. you could. Yeah. Basically, it's a high-ranking yeah. government official, not yeah. some. Random, nobody terrorist. Now, my thought was, I thought that he was, like, a rogue state official of Iran. Like, I thought he was running, like, a a paramilitary group or something like that, I guess was what I thought Uh, I read. No, I don't think that's it. Okay. But, uh, and second of all, why I think about this, because they're always, because, and I'll get to this in a sec, and this was depressing, depressing, disgusting these past few days, is Mm -hmm. just... That we are now getting hit with all this pro-war, anti-Iran propaganda, just like we did 
yeah. Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah. I wonder um, if people's sensibilities have evolved enough to realize that well, they're being spoon fed that stuff. Oh yeah, I, well to get to get before we get to that, mm-hmm. I do see this also because they were saying this was a retaliation for like the attack on the U.S. embassy. Well, here's something you have to realize is that Iraq is a puppet state of the U.S. Mm-hmm. We went in there during the Bush administration, destroyed their country, and we have essentially taken over. Like, we claim, like, oh, well, we gave them back their government. Mm-hmm. And despite what I just said about the, um, the parliament ejecting all these troops, we still control it. We still prop them up. Mm-hmm. So it's a puppet state. Yeah. And as I see it, this is just... Uh, them attacking the embassy and even working with Iranians, it's just local, locals insurgents fighting back against imperialistic Western powers. So yeah. it's just like everything else in the Middle East. We fuck, we fuck with shit. We control lies. Same thing with Russia. We we basically use the Middle East as like our uh, fighting arena, mm-hmm. like. I haven't read I haven't read it entirely since my teenage years, but I've read up enough on it, like analysis and videos. But remember the a book novel called Nineteen Eighty Four. Yeah, there. Yeah, in that book, Orwell described an area of the world which I think makes up of like India and like parts of the Middle East there, mm-hmm. where they basically describe it as like a battleground between the two big superpowers mm-hmm. or three big ones, and it's all. Uh, that's all it is. It's just like this battlefield that, like, sometimes this guy, will t- this this fraction will take over, yeah. you know, do it again. That's the way I view the Middle East now. Well, it's it's accurate for the last three thousand years of human history. You oh know? yeah, it's been a contested area ever since. It's geographically unique in that there's no centralized population. Um. You know, traditionally... Or more so, there is, but then when they try to establish something, we go in there and fuck it up. Well, that, it's more, it's more of like, especially in the case of Afghanistan, not as much Iraq. Like, it, it like how we were talking about the Australian wildfires earlier, like, the interior of Australia is not uninhabitable, but it's uncivilizable. Like... Just because of the, you know, seismic activity and lack of resources and a million other reasons, they can't make big cities there. It just doesn't work. And in the Middle East, you have a lot of those same types of situations where it'll be like one part of the country is where 80% of the people live because that's the habitable part of the country. And the rest of it is fucking rocks and wasteland well, yeah. desert or something like that. Well, yeah. That's well, what I meant. So, in fact, I think what I said was they don't have a centralized population. And what I should have said was they have regionally centralized populations. Oh, yeah. And regions of the country that are wildly uninhabited and susceptible to these kind of like nomadic roaming groups of well yeah you also have to take people well you also have to remember that uh they're blaming uh the shiites for for you know uh aligning themselves with iran which is a Mm. shiite nation yeah you know they were talking about that with uh the parliament story i told you about that the sunni and kurds who are part of it opposed the vote but Mm -hmm. since shiites still have more numbers 
they were able to pass the vote to say, hey, yeah. US, no U.S. troops in Iraq. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, but yeah, as I see, see it, it's uh, basically the populace of Iraq rising up with the help of another country, because just like the U.S. and Russia, Iran, Iran will support groups mm-hmm. of their interest, yeah. you know, give them money, weapons, training, fighting back against the great Satan, America, the imperialist oppressor that just totally fucked over, exploited their country in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And now we're kind of just using this, uh, using this attack and this assassination as an excuse to finally go into Iran and do the same thing over again. Yeah, that's a powder keg. Yeah. It's um, a big powder keg. Yeah, like I said, I've pay, pay attention online, which, by the way, I've, uh, of course, I'm banned from Facebook again, <laughs> right in the middle of this fucking thing, so I really can't, you know, post all the dank memes uh, that I would want. hmm But, yeah, uh, most of the shit that I see out from the right-wing Bemasphere, Blogsphere, social media, it's pretty much turned into, you know, 2000s Bush neocon shit, which is, you know, of course, some of them throw in, like, the Benghazi mm-hmm. whole thing. It's like, yeah, unlike Clinton, Trump won't let this be a Benghazi. Dude, there's a whole lot of difference between Libya and oh, Iran, yeah. though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So many differences. Oh, absolutely. Then, of course, you know, the whole masculine bullshit, you know, you don't fuck with America. Trump has balls. You know, unlike Obama, who appeased these people, Trump won't put up with it. Like, like they're in that stage of, you know, we gotta attack Iran, they fuck with us, they gotta pay. I'm waiting for the next stage of that, where it's basically gonna be them trying to convince the public by saying... Well, don't worry, you know, it'll be a quick war, you know. We got this technology and that technology, this precision. No. Yeah. That's what no. they that's what they said back in uh, Bush's day. Mm-hmm. You know, they did the whole mission accomplished thing. Yeah, and that was like what, eight months into the in get or no, maybe it was two thousand three, so like yeah, eight, eighteen yeah, months. Yeah, we know? uh we invaded Afghanistan like pretty much the year two thousand two, I think. And then yeah. Iraq came in 2003. Yeah. Huh. This is bad news, man. It's bad I news. It's good I know. news for Northrop Grumman. I know, and that's the thing. Like, like I said previously, uh, 2010s, I think, is more formative now, but mm-hmm. in the 2000s, I, one of the reasons I thought it was formative for me is because I grew up during the Bush administration, and all the stuff that I'm seeing now is just like, fucking deja vu in like the worst way possible yeah i'm like holy shit it's happening all over yes yes it is yep and i guess maybe that was my spit take and i know you were saying you wanted to wrap up and i'm i'm feeling i gotta get down to uh the end of the hallway again here sooner rather than later but yeah we're just about done yeah um no it's it, it is very very similar to what we were doing in 2001, 2002. And being a person who, like, grew up in that period of time, um, 
you know, you too. Like this, all this stuff happened when we were in high school and we had nothing to do but pay attention to it, you know? Yeah. Like this is what we, like there, the small groups of people on the internet, this is what we were talking about. Like the, like popular music was talking about it. There was protests and counter protests. Yeah. I mean, there was a protest today actually when I was coming to Kalamazoo. Mm -hmm. There was one Grand Rapids yesterday, same thing. Yeah, and I mean, they're, they're protesting in the same physical place that they used to protest the Iraq War and the Afghanistan yeah, War 20, as well. 20 years later, you're still protesting the same shit. Yeah, basically, and and will continue to do so. Like, if, if the struggle for global hegemony persists, then... The Middle East and Southeast Asia will be the battleground for Russia, the United States, and China. And the only other large states that could participate in that for in that foray are Israel, Saudi Arabia, and Iran. And Iran has always been the big problem. Like it, it. well, there's also those historical grudges. Like, there, you know, yeah, those, there's big like, historical grudges. And we yeah. back the Saudis. So that's, yeah. I mean, that's even, the big even, thing. Even Iraq had historical mm-hmm. grudges. I think Bush even famously claimed, well, they tried to kill my daddy. Yeah, well, also, those historical grudges were only 25 years deep. But when we start talking about the historical grudges of Russia and Iran and China and Israel, then that is going to go back way further back than 25 years ago. Yeah, I mean, if I had, like, I'm just putting this up in my mind right now. I think if there were a world war, it would basically be us, Israel, and Saudi Arabia versus Iran, Russia, China, because... Russia and China mm-hmm. are support Iran, and I think even this weekend they're doing like some military drill out in the Persian Gulf. You know, it's one of the things like we do this to show cooperation and harmony. Blah blah blah. Well, I mean, Russia flip flops with its allegiance I, historically. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. Same with America. Yeah, exactly. Russia and America are basically two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Batman Joker kind of thing. Kind, yeah, kind of, uh, and. Man, I don't know. The this thing isn't going to get solved quick, and now we've made decisive action to instigate its acceleration. And I think that's my take on the whole thing. I I, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about the situation to decide whether or not it was a good idea to take out this guy. Like apparently, you know, he was actively planning terrorist cell things, you know, to whatever. Like, it, he was yeah. an existential threat. Are we being lied to? Is that being, yeah. you know... We'll, we'll find out in 20 years when fucking Julia Assange, Julian Assange releases <laughs> it from beyond the grave with his, <laughs> like, cyber mind, right? Or, like, exactly. Elon Musk tells us from Mars or something. <laughs> like, whatever is going to happen, whatever is going to come out in 20 years, um, you know, whether or not this singular event is the match strike that ignites the entire region on fire again. I guess that's to be determined over the next few weeks. But, like, ultimately, everybody's been on a standoff for decades now waiting for somebody to make a decisive move, 
And my question is, was that the decisive mood move? And was it rational? You know? Yeah, well, well, I won't make any predictions because I hope for the best, which is non-war, obviously. Yeah, but, I think that's the but, ideal outcome. But basically, uh, let's see. If we were to go to war, it's not going to be a big World War Three situation. It'll mm. be just like Afghanistan, Iraq, and good old Vietnam. Yeah. Where we're going to go in, fuck shit up, take over, then occupy it, and, well, maybe see how well that worked. Yeah. And it'll probably, of course, lead to another economic depression and all that. And uh, this time, though, uh, back in 2000, we had, you know, 9-11 happen. And mm-hmm. All the energy and patriotism that came after that. Yeah. We haven't had that yet. We've had, like, yeah. small domestic shit, but not, like, world Not a singular attacks. event that people could rally behind. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. And uh, also, when this happened, too... Uh, Bush was, like, first got into office. He was still, you know, going through that contested Florida election. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah unless he wins again in this year, Bush, Trump is nearly pretty much at the end of his first term. Mm-hmm. So we've had four years of impeached Trump Impeached yeah, as well. Impeached as well. Yeah. So it's not like we had, like, fresh-faced George W. Bush. We mm-hmm. got, like, four years of Trump already in hand, so it's like... So, yeah, we're obviously not rah-rahing behind them like we did Bush. Yeah. So I could see that possibly stopping that from happening. Yeah. This one's hard to call, man. It's real hard to call. It's it's going to be a, a, an interesting couple of weeks. Yeah, this is something that I'm very worried about. I get very depressed if I really think about it. Yeah, not sure. Not because, like, I'm afraid of, like, a nuclear strike or getting drafted or anything. I'm way too fucking old. Yeah, we're too old to be drafted. Yeah, to quote Eminem back in the day, I'm 28. They're going to take you before they take me. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'm more worried about just, uh, once again, you know, us getting stuck in this shit, destroying American lives, destroying lives of people in Iran and all over the Middle East, mm-hmm. just countless people slaughtered for bullshit. Yeah. And then, of course, my, my the one thing I'm truly paranoid about is just another recession or Great Depression, another economic crash. Yeah. This will surely fucking do it. Because yeah. war costs money, and we just ignore everything to blow shit up. And, well, look up the Great Recession, people. Just yeah. Wikipedia that. And yeah. Yep, 2008, man, that was 2007-2008, that was a very interesting time to be becoming a young adult in the United States. Yeah, there was other reasons too, but yeah, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan definitely led to that recession. And I do think a war with Iran would lead to the same thing. I think I can agree with you there. Alright, well, well, I, I say we should probably end this. We got sure. two hours of... Shit that makes you happy, shit that makes you sad at night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we should probably get going because you got shit again. Yep, I my insides are broiling. Yeah. Anything you want to plug, dude? Um, coming up, I just heard word that we'll probably finally see a Conrad Twitty band official release in the year 2020. Nice. Um... Uh, I was talking to Garrett earlier. I think I'm going to try to release a um, 
collection of short stories and um, small novelettes that uh, I have bouncing around in the back catalog. I'm also going to try to release a lot of my music from the past and my uh, travel show somewhere in Kalamazoo and it's um, the uh, what it became, which was Everyday Explorers. And I still have a bunch of unedited footage for Belize um, for Everyday Explorers, so I'll probably explore that. And I believe we talked about this in our wrap-up last year, um, that I was continuing work on my fourth novel, um, Normal on Trial. I'm still working on it. But uh, as I said earlier in the podcast, I just booked a writing sabbatical in Denver uh, in the middle of February. So hopefully I'll make some some headway on yeah. that. Yeah. Same thing with my novel, All Star Turns Black. I'm determined to get at least the first draft finished by the end of this year. Oh, that would be nice if I could get a draft done. I don't. I don't think being realistic, I'll have the chance to do it if I stay as busy professionally this year as I was last year. But I do want to make a concerted effort to do a lot of work on it as much as I can. But it's a bit. It's a epic fucking novel, dude. It's gonna be a big book. Hmm. So I'm excited right. about it. All right, and uh, as for me, uh, yeah, my latest novel, Golden Blood Harmony, is out now. Buy it, Lulu, Amazon, Smashwords, Gumroad, Barnes and Noble. Get it, please help me. I need money. <laughs> and uh, you can find this podcast on you know Spotify, Breaker, Anchor, uh, YouTube, Internet Archive, Mixcloud. Subscribe and all that shit. You know, support this podcast. Mm-hmm. No, with without you, I would not be doing this. Well, okay, I'd be doing it in some way or something. God, this that was a shitty promo. Just, <laughs> just please support this podcast. Yeah. I will. I love you all. Yep. Fuck and, war. Yeah. Fuck war too. Fuck Bush. Fuck Trump. They're all war criminals. Get those gulags. But uh, <laughs> and I want. I want to support two other podcasts I've recently gotten into. One of them is called Rumble with Michael Moore. Michael Moore now puts out a podcast that I've really enjoyed. He was a big influence of mine back in the day, and he's still like the only true liberal guy that I actually still like, you know, being the radical socialist that I am now. You know, I definitely disagree with him with a lot of shit, but Rumble's been a pretty solid podcast. I enjoy it. Fair enough. Another one, more comedic, called uh, Am Sandler, Please Stop. <laughs> it's about these two comedians from Chicago, and uh, they go over and review everything in Am Sandler's career. Movies, music, and yeah. I think it started in 2017, but I just discovered it now, and it is excellent. It's hilarious, and... Well, I, I despise Adam Sandler now because I think he's a hack. And also, probably one of the greatest nihilist philosophers of our time. <laughs> but yeah, it's a great podcast. Check check it out. Cool. Yeah, if we're doing podcast recommendations, yeah, Dan, Carlin, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Can't yeah. recommend it enough. Yep. And of course, last podcast on the left, they're moving to Spotify solely mm-hmm. this month. So, congrats to them, because I guess they can now finally afford to pay their employees health care, <laughs> which is awesome. It's good. All right, folks, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Zach, thanks for being on. Of course. 
And uh, thanks for Nick DeMott for uh, allowing me to use one of his songs for the new uh, new intro song. I get a new one every year. It's always a folk punk song. And coincidentally, um, considering what's going on in geopolitical politics right now, it's ironically um, suits the mood, I guess. <laughs> so thanks to him for that. Thank you all for listening, and... Uh, we're out here. Later. Yep, here's the outro song. DJ Matt Warner, y'all. They call me the white m M&M. I'm like Oakland's Nas, but not really quite that good. I was a studio gangster, a complacent gringo. I was just fine till the Bush administration co-opted my lingo. Mission accomplished. Shock and awe. I tried to look up habeas corpus but couldn't find it under law. Bush and Cheney, y'all neither chill with me nor my homies. Y'all be what Joyce and Solinger call Philistines and phonies. So I find solace with hipsters who quote Franny and Zoe. And I bring Gandhian nonviolent tactics to ciphers to not be lonely. Born in 84, some say my style's Orwellian. No, I prefer Talib Quellian. I'm the petite prince. Standing starboard, the best minds of my generation were rejected from Harvard. Never had dreams of being a Biggie Pac or Fitty. Most rappers today live in a dream like Walter Mitty. While some get greedy and try to outdo me, I live happy DJing in my room and translating roomy. But oh, 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 that Shakespearean rag, it's so elegant, so intelligent. I sling puns like gangsters sling guns. Y'all best listen up, meaning is about to pick up. I'm about to go with Crazy Jane and talk to the bishop. What? Y'all no longer want to come near me? I'll interpret your maladies like Jumpa Lahiri, knowing only the absoluteness of conscious is the antithesis to tyranny. Like the last emperor, you can't define me. I'm an oddity. Like Boethius, there's no consolation to my philosophy. Some days I play Mod Gone in a world where God's gone. Other days my mind opens, slouching towards Oakland, and Innisfree becomes my Alameda. I hear Jay Skrilla beatboxing and bass lines from Joe Ashida. Most radio tracks are about the manifestly violent or quotidian. Diddy rapping something conscious would take a year of magical thinking like Joan Didion. Bush and Condi are more likely to follow Gandhi and bring peace to Palestinians, or me convince a creationist of Stephen Jay Gould's punctuated equilibrium. But oh, 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 that Shakespearean rag, it's so elegant, so intelligent. But all I hear is Compton, and talk of pop-locking and dropping, so I busy myself with meditation and Gerard Manley Hopkins, while some listen to Keek the Sneak rap fast like a NASCAR NASCAR. I reminisce of the days of Little League and snack bars, where fetching a foul ball would earn me a popsicle. Now I'm headed to the Highlands, like the hospital. But we live in a world not too different from Spiegelman's Mouse, where housing hamlets turn into Hamlet's house. In hockey, my free checking earned me the nickname Wamu, raised on poetry workshops by Paul Flores and Bamu, interned at Youth Speaks for 102 weeks. Me in a book you couldn't get between me, brought up on the Believer magazine and McSweeney's. My wit is seco. My cholo friends affectionately call me Gringo Mendejo. They say it means Matt. Most of my ex-girlfriends have an unhealthy fixation with Sylvia Plath. Oh, 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 
that Shakespearean rag. It's so elegant, so intelligent. I used to take groceries to people on welfare. Some call me the lyrical David Elsewhere. Out of the cradle, endlessly popping, locking, coming with a style that if you tried for a while, you could probably copy. Don't call me Ishmael, and don't call me cocky. And American people, please don't try to stop me. Like Bush going to war quick, Barbara Lee cried wolf for real, and Colbert played York. But here we are, bored, sick, mired in hopelessness and ennui, looking to Barack Obama for the guidance of King and Gandhi. You couldn't pay me to sell out unless you paid me a lot. I'll make you look like a fool and not press charges like that dude that Cheney shot. MC White and Nerdy from Southeast Berkeley. Some call me Smohala, the truth speaker. Others say I look like Paul Pibalika. My only homies are hipsters who quote Franny and Zoe, always on the lookout for Philistines and phonies. Peace. I'm out.